Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of The Cult of Pop. My name is Brian Stevens, and with me is... Hello, I'm Drew Mascherelli. Drew, how are you doing this wonderful day? Brian, I'm terrific. Beautiful day outside. Beautiful December day. Yeah, how's Massachusetts, Massachusetts today? It's like 45 degrees out. Oh, that's kind of warm, right? It's been... I mean, yeah, we had a day a couple days ago where it was like 50, didn't feel right, making Once. everyone sick. You going to go swimming? Oh, yeah. I got my swim trunks on right now, shirtless. Yeah. 40 degrees in December in Massachusetts. I mean, if you've ever seen, um, oh, what's that movie? Uh, oh, my God. My mind just went blank. Where uh, Casey Affleck's an alcoholic and he has to take care of his uh, brother. Uh, Manchester by the Sea? Yeah. Oh, Manchester by the Sea. It just makes the East Coast look freezing all the time. Yeah. That movie's interesting. That's a great movie, but... I don't think poor people live in the town of Manchester by the sea. <laughs> oh, right. Is that, is that These true? I don't know anything rich, about it. Uh, yeah. Coastal towns in Massachusetts where it's all vacation homes. Is that, is that right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, unless you're from the East coast, like you don't really realize how expensive it is to live in any of those cities. Unless you're living in like uh Manchester, New Hampshire, where <laughs> I think, I believe a Ryan Dunn of jackass fame, like stabbed a guy outside of a nightclub. Worcester, Massachusetts, greatest city on earth. Whoa, um, really? Okay. Absolutely not. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, a lot of we have. Um, I think Joyner Lucas is from Worcester. Uh, wow. Joe Rogan, I think, might be from Worcester. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Um, what a dump! Terrible city. Um, you gotta have some money to get even a nice little, little yeah. gig, right? Like, um. What's the uh, the famous house that the Bushes own in Maine? Oh, up in uh, like outside of Kenny Bunkport. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually went there on vacation. It was our, my, our honeymoon, not to that house, but we went to Kenny Bunkport, visited. Um, yeah, we went to hang out with George Bush. Yeah, we hung out with George Bush. Uh, yeah, uh, um, senior, by the way. Yeah, he was like eighty five at the time. Rest in peace to the homie. Yeah, to the homie. <laughs> We are off the rails quick. Uh, if, if you're still listening uh, five minutes in, this has nothing to do with anything. Uh, we have a pretty cool episode. This is um, something that I've been working on for a while. I've asked Drew to work on for a while. We're going to go through a list of our favorite five directors that are still working today. The title of the episode probably is going to say something like Top 5 Directors just because I want people to listen to it. And it's kind of confusing if I made the title Top 5 Directors That Are Still Working That Are Our Favorite. You know what I mean, Drew? That's kind of a long title. Bit wordy. Bit wordy, yeah. Uh, so what basically, anyway, there's some overlap here. So they're not in any kind of order. They're not in uh, any kind of like ranking. We're just talking about our favorite directors that are still working today. Uh, the reason I say that is because we wanted to stick – we want to steer clear of Kubrick and Hitchcock and, you know, some of the, and we even, you know, talk about, uh, beforehand Carpenter, you know, John Carpenter might've been on our list, but, uh, he's not technically still active. So these are people who either will have a release coming up or have had a re release in the, in the recent, or uh, in the recent past. Is that the right way to say that Drew? That sounds about right. Um, so, you know, if you say, "Hey, you haven't had, you don't have," so you know, where's Sidney Portier on on your list? Well, he hasn't made a film in the last fifteen years, so sorry about your luck. Uh, and and speaking of that, I, w I wanted to bring up too because uh, our list 
um, Drew has, um, I would say, the only minority class on the list. And this is something I wanted to bring up before we got into I it. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call women a minority. <laughs> uh, well, okay. Well, sorry. Um, <laughs> No, only non un, only non white ma- male on on his list. He he's the only one that has a non white male. How, is that fair to say? That okay. That sounds bad. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I guess women are actually probably the majority, right? There's more women than men, right? Wait, I'm a minority. <laughs> yeah. Oh right? my god. Isn't that the case? I think there are more women in the world than men. I believe that is true. Yeah. So um, sorry. Thank you, Drew, for correcting me. Um, uh, so anyways, yeah, we have a bunch of white males, uh, well, we're a bunch of white males, but, but we wanted to kind of talk about this and, and give, you know, a perspective because I, I did some soul searching and I tried really hard to, you know, make sure that I was picking my five favorite directors and that it wasn't based on, um, any type of, uh, discrimination or like, you know, my, my viewpoint as a white male, um, and we're getting really like uh, woke right now, but, uh, this is, this is kind of serious because when you look, when we, at least for me, when I looked, uh, there historically hasn't been a lot of opportunities for, uh, minority directors or, or women directors. Correct. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah. And I think, you know, with the, the limitations that we've put on ourselves here too, of working directors who have a large enough body of work to point to and say that, oh, that you know, they're one of the greatest working directors right now. Like there are plenty of immensely talented um Oh, for yeah, sure. Women and people of color like putting out movies right now. Um Yeah. But I also don't think the 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 cultural conversation has really been happening for long enough. Like it feels like the like Oscar So White thing. I don't remember what year specifically that happened, but it wasn't that long ago that I think as an industry, um, you know, Hollywood became more and more conscious of the voices that they were elevating, you know, by whether through funding or awards. Right. Um, and I was like, there, that's not to say there aren't like plenty of, um, minorities and people of color who have put out like impressive bodies of work who are still working today. Um, like a lot of it are, or a lot of those directors are ones that I've like either been intimidated by, whether it's someone like, uh, like Kiristami, the Iranian director did close up and a bunch of other movies who people love. Um, but I've always been like kind of intimidated by his films. Um, or, you know, like there's, there's plenty of Japanese directors I love, whether it's Ozu or Tsukamoto, um, you know, aren't working anymore because they're dead yeah Um, but yeah it's a a a tough i that's no it's not tough it's getting better but i think the 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 conversation still has to exist because i think a lot of people immediately uh hear conversations like this and i don't consider myself like any type of authority on any of this i'm like talking out of my ass but people immediately look at like, oh, you know, we need to maybe give more recognition to your women and people of color in the film industry. And they look at that and they're like, oh, um, you're just, you know, doing this to score woke points. You're doing this like it's some affirmative action thing, which I don't think is true. I just think the um, like the entertainment industry as a whole for a long time has been 
whether explicitly or implicitly uh, like kind of sexist and racist towards a lot of people on the production end of things. Um, so yeah, it's, it's hopefully something that's going to change in the coming years. Yeah. And I, there are some, some directors that, you know, we're going to talk about, uh, some honorable mentions, but there are directors that are on my honorable mentions and, um, you know, there are some directors I love, like Jordan Peele is phenomenal. I love Jordan Peele, but he's only has two features, right? And, uh, I love, I absolutely adore Steve McQueen, but he's only got four features. And um, I think, you know, if you asked, if we did this again in maybe five years, maybe 10 years, Steve McQueen would probably be on my list. Um, he's super talented. And there, like you mentioned, there are um, there are people in uh, this realm that have historic, like Sidney Portier is obviously the one to point to. Um, it, it, it's, it's one of those things too, like, like somebody like Spike Lee. And he probably... If you asked a lot of people, he might be in this list, but I don't feel like his movies really are for me in a lot of ways. I, they don't appeal to me in the same way that, um, like, a Steve McQueen did. Um, I think Spike Lee's movies too are also so, like, his style, at least in his like early career, um, is very influenced by uh, the culture that he grew up around, and I think you know it gives his movies a lot of personality and I probably would have put him on a short list like do the right thing I think is one of the most important movies of the past when that movie came out like 89 right past like yeah. 30 years or so um but and you also have to look at the body of work that people have and like if you're talking about specifically Spike Lee you know there's there's some misses there yeah that's the other thing too is like there's other directors you know race or sex be damned that I would have put on my list, but when you start like, well, they had two good films <laughs> or, you know, like, like we talked, let's talk about, let's just talk about Corone, Alfonso Corone. We both were like, you know, I like Corone, I, you know, when he's good, he's really good, but there's just not enough of his films that I love to put him as my, one of my favorite directors. Yeah. Like children of men is one of my like very favorite movies. Um, and you know, I think I thought Roma was fantastic. I think E2 Mama Tambien is great, but the list of, like his like excellent movies kind of ends there. I think yeah. like gravity's fine. Um, but yeah, you know, and, and, you know, the same thing is who, and this is, you know, just my opinion, but Catherine Bigelow is one of the best directors, uh, on this planet. Um, and I love her. I honestly almost put her on there. Like when, when I, but when I really got to her, her list of, of films it's not there's just honestly there's there's a lot of misses and again i don't necessarily blame her because it's also maybe that's what she'd been given you know what i mean uh there women have a hard time getting great uh scripts to to to, to make so and projects that they have a lot of creative control over exactly yeah you know uh, I'm not, a, and, and you know, so this is just, I'm just going to, Catherine Bigelow is on my, um, honorable mention. So I'm just going to start with her real fast. Okay. But like, you know, I love, I love, um, near dark. I don't know if you've ever seen near dark. Uh, I've not. It's the, it's considered a modern Western horror 
vampire movie with Bill Pullman and um, it, or Bill Paxton. Sorry, Bill Paxton. And uh, it's I love it. It's a it's one of the best vampire movies ever made. Uh, Strange Days is also another film of hers from the mid 90s. That's just it's fantastic. Have you ever seen Strange Days or have you heard of Strange Days? I have really only seen her like trilogy of like historic event like Hurt Locker, Zero Dark Thirty and Detroit. Yeah. The only three I've seen. And I'm telling you, you're kind of missing out because I I, I didn't really care for Detroit too much. I thought Zero Dark Thirty was almost propaganda, but Hurt Locker is fabulous. I really liked Hurt Locker. I think that's like one of the only movies that um, Jeremy Renner's good in. Um, And obviously Point Break is a classic. You should definitely see Point Break. But like K-19, terrible. K-19, The Widowmaker. I don't know if you, do you know, have you heard of that film? Yeah. I just, nah, it's not good. Uh, Blue Steel. You ever heard of Blue Steel? Not that one. Uh, people like this movie. It's, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis. I, I'm not, not a fan. Um, and then The Weight of Water, which was probably her worst movie. Um, it's, it's, it's really bad. Sean Penn and Elizabeth Hurley. Um, but you go through that list and she, I would consider her one of the like she is a very effective director she's very good at what she does but it just that I just listed off almost all of her movies and that just wasn't good enough to make my list mm-hmm. um, and you know I could say the same thing about Carl Franklin are you familiar with Carl Franklin at all I not really know so Honestly, I'm kind of new to the Carl Franklin party, which again is just a shame because he is a very talented director. Works a lot with Denzel Washington, but um, he's probably best known for Devil in the Blue Dress, which is a movie that I just watched this year for the first time, and it is it it, it I gave it a five star rating. It's uh, neo noir. It's fabulous. Denzel Washington playing a private detective. It's it's terrific. Um, but he also did. Um, he worked on the the TV show The Pacific, uh, which I feel like you would probably you probably into that, right? You like yeah, uh, I've seen that. Yeah, so he 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 was a director on that. He did he's done a lot of TV shows recently, but um, famously, two movies that I think you would really enjoy and that you should try try, try to check out if you can is Bless. Uh, sorry, not um, what uh, Nowhere to Run, nineteen eighty nine movie um, with David Carradine. Carradine, uh, really good, but. One false move is the one that is just terrific. Um, it's it stars Bill Paxton again, Billy Bob Thornton uh, from '92. Uh, it's a it's a, about a drug deal and murder, and there's three criminals, and they're it's there's it's it's a detective slash crime movie. Just check it out. I think you would really like it. Um, that's one false I move. I just wrote it down. Yeah, um, so he's a very talented director, but again, he hasn't had a lot of opportunities, and he hasn't made a movie since, I'm trying to, I think the last movie he made was 2013, maybe? Um, yeah, 2013, he made a movie called uh, Bless Me Ultima, which I haven't seen, um, and it's got a bunch of really nobody in it, but it's just the opportunity is not there, and this guy's this guy's a terrific director, and he's only made nine films. Um but yeah, anyways, so let's, uh, is there any, anything else you want to say uh, on this topic? I think we can, we can move on to the list. Yeah. So, uh, well, is there any, but any honorable mentions that you wanted to 
hit up before we start so moving we, down the list. We got Karan. Um, Vilnov's not on your list, right? Yes, he is. Oh, just kidding. Um, this is another that I I would have mentioned if they had a larger body of work. Um, but I think of their their short films that I've seen and their two features, I think like I will see anything the Safties put out as long as they maintain the level of quality they have with Uncut Gems and Good Time. Um, you know, I think they their style I think is just one of the most like exhilarating to watch. Um, and they just have such a such an eye for building tension but also kind of making these like because you could watch either of those movies as just like a a totally absurd dark comedy or just like a very serious crime drama and i think they kind of play very well with those that balance of like this is so ridiculous and like everything that's happening is so insane but it's somehow still completely emotionally investing but also uh insanely stressful and it'll make you your pants in the theater so i (laughs) yeah absolutely adore those two i don't think that's a mystery to anyone who's heard me on here before because i probably mentioned them a lot yeah Um, and and i concur with everything you said they're terrific directors and again we're i'm i can't wait for them to build out their their filmography i believe their next project is a an hbo show i think and, that, and that should, uh, we should mention that too is like a lot of these directors now are are moving towards television and Netflix because well obviously we know the film industry is struggling but also like the opportunity to just get stuff made is is easier mm-hmm. and tell a story right but yeah yeah anyway sorry go I didn't mean to cut you off let's see uh, other honorable mentions I'll say yeah no I think that's what I got. Um, well, I wanted to mention three directors that aren't on my list and they're not on yours. Um, one is Guillermo del Toro, who I think is super talented. And I, there was a time when um, I was worried about del Toro's career um, because Crimson Peak era. Yeah, yeah, Crim- Crimson Peak era, and it was just like I, I felt he felt like maybe he uh, he didn't have anything substantial left in his in his repertoire um chronos i don't know if you've ever seen chronos but chronos and the devil's backbone are uh, two movies that introduced me to him and particularly the devil's backbone is just it's really chilling it's a chilling movie uh, i definitely recommend it the hellboy films obviously were fun um and same thing about pacific rim i loved pacific rim when it came out i was super into it um not so much the second one but um crimson peak i was looking forward to because it seemed like the type of of storytelling that del toro was going to totally succeed in but man that movie is just not good and i rewatched it recently and it it falls flat on its face but um you know his two best films are in my opinion pan's labyrinth and the shape of water and i know shape of water got a lot of crap because it won best picture da 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 but that really is uh it's epic hollywood storytelling and i think he is uh, a master at 
at visuals one he he can he, you know he can work with the the vx team and and the special effects teams and the the makeup people and he gets he gets all these things just perfect if you yeah, look his production design is like basically unrivaled he has such an interesting eye for yes for place and i'm just like aesthetic um and can shift from like oh here's something like kind of weird and gross like pan's labyrinth and this like very nostalgic view of you know like cold war era with shape of water yes exactly and he yeah um so he's got a movie coming out supposedly next year we'll see called nightmare alley um search bradley cooper tony collette kate blanchett uh ron perlman richard jenkins just uh, and willem dafoe just a huge cast um so I'm looking forward to that. I, I think maybe he's he's back. So Del Toro was on my short list. And um, then, of course, you know, we didn't really uh, – I was surprised that this didn't come up. And um, we have an email from Adam Etheridge as well that we're going to read later where he gives us his five directors. But none of us really mentioned Tarantino. And I think he should be on this list because I think Tarantino is obviously an excellent director. I think he's a better writer than a director. Um, but I still think he is – uh, a, va- a very valuable director, and I think most people uh, would say that he would be on their list. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, don't you think that generally people would have probably put Tarantino on on their list outside of us? Yeah, no, I think I think he has plenty of like great films. Um, You're not a huge I Tarantino guess, fan, right? Not like I've liked most of what I've seen of his, like. I really like, I think I like Hateful Eight more than most people. I thought Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was really great. Uh, Glorious Bastards, I think, is good. Um, but I think a lot of times they, at least for me, are like good despite being a Quentin Tarantino movie. <laughs> I think a lot of his, yeah, his signature stylistic choices uh, kind of overall like detract from his movies for me at least a little bit yeah i'm Um, with you i I definitely understand what you're saying like there are are other directors who i would have maybe like rather seen make once upon a time in hollywood that could have and like again i think that's a great movie um but you know i he's an interesting one and i like totally respect people for for liking his work like because i do as well yeah um just maybe not as much as other people i guess yeah, and I, I'm the same way. Like I, I think he, like I said, I think he's a better writer than he is a director. Um, I and think he loves to write one very specific word. <laughs> what word is that, Drew? We'll we'll talk about it off air. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I just I think that when it comes to his direction, it's kind of, um, and maybe this comes from lack of editing, but it just seems like he just he likes to just keep shooting and shooting and shooting and shooting. Um, but yeah, um, the last I do have a, uh, oh, sorry, no, go ahead. I thought, I thought of a couple more honorable mentions while we were talking about that one. Okay. Let me just, um, let me just finish up mine and then we'll go back to yours and then we can. Yeah, for sure. This. So the last director on my list, and, um, I feel like this is, you're going to laugh at me and I feel like, um, the listeners are going to laugh at me, but at one time he was my favorite director working and I think he's a, he's a brilliant mind. And I think sometimes, um, Hollywood can get the best of people. And there also is, um, I think 
some misunderstanding with uh, his films, and that's M. Night Shyamalan. Um, I th- I think uh, Unbreakable is a masterpiece. I think Signs is 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 great, and obviously The Sixth Sense. I also think that people just didn't. Un- they, he became known as the twist guy, and so um, it, if the twist didn't live up to expectations, then people wrote off the whole movie. So a film like The Village or Lady in Water, or The Visit, The Visit is terrific, by the way. Um, all those movies, I think, just people just didn't really understand what he was trying to do because he pigeonholed himself, and he kind of became known as this um, jerk. And he was humbled by the happening, which uh, that movie I have no, I don't know what to say about that movie because that is the that's probably the reason I kept him off the list the most is the happening is just. I can't defend that movie. I can't. I can't. There's nothing I can say to defend that film. Didn't uh, he do Avatar: The Last Airbender and, as well? Yes, and The Last Airbender as well, which literally killed a, a probably a billion dollar franchise. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I I I loved Split. I thought that was a return. Uh, I know a lot of people didn't like Glass. I didn't love it as much as Split, but I definitely enjoyed it. I didn't think it was as terrible as uh, it got turned out to be. But anyways, I, I think that he's talented, and I would love to see him just go back to his roots and continue to make m- movies that he cared about. Um, and it seems that, honestly, you know, with, with a film like The Visit, maybe it's better off that he directs films that he doesn't write. I don't know. That's just me. Isn't he? Uh, I saw something the other day. It might have been on Twitter of him rapping, filming on a on a new movie. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I. Yeah, that could be. I don't know. I believe that's what I saw. Oh, okay. Well, that's awesome. I, I I'm always down for more uh, M Night Shyamalan. H- how do you feel about M Night Shyamalan? You know, I haven't seen enough of his stuff to be like I can really say one way or another like the the popular opinion of m night Shyamalan is like haha robot chicken what a twist um <laughs> yeah. that sketch that they did right um but yeah you know what have i seen i've seen glass i've seen split i did i see the visit i think i did um and i think that's about it and there just hasn't been anything in his backlog that i'm like oh shit i have to see I feel like I should probably see signs at some point. That seems like the one that most people, Uh oh, that's his like, you know, the masterpiece of like his career so far, but unbreakable as well too. I think you should watch unbreakable. Right. Now that I've seen the, the last two movies (laughs) in that trilogy, (laughs) right? which unbreakable is probably the best one too. Um, yeah, I, I just, man, it's one of those, like I said, it's one of those cases where maybe Hollywood got to his head and uh, he kind of, he, he was notoriously hard to work with and got put in director jail and it was for, oh, we, we forgot he did uh, After Earth with Will Smith and uh, oh, right. Gene Smith. So, yeah, it, unfortunately the, the happening was probably one of, and The Last Airbender were um, they they didn't quite put the nail in his coffin, but um, all right, he's, Drew. He's had a resurgence a little bit. But. I mean, he has, and I think a lot of that because he he went like you know the, he first of all he went to Blumhouse, made the visit, um, and that movie was really good. I really enjoyed it. I, I mean, it 
and it wasn't plastered with M. Night Shyamalan's name all over it. So it didn't have the expectations of an M. Night Shyamalan film, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So what you said, you've thought of a couple of the directors that you wanted to, yeah, I'll, I'll go through these pretty quickly. Okay. Um, I'd feel bad if we didn't mention David Lynch. I mm. guess the main reason he's not on my list is because I haven't seen enough of his work. Like I've seen twin peaks um i've seen blue velvet and a bunch of his like short films because i was just going through they had like a david lynch like early career collection thing on the criterion channel just like going through his like student films and stuff but other than that i think that might be it like i'd be like a total asshat for being like yeah david lynch is one of the greatest working directors and having not seen like mulholland drive or lost highway yeah yeah um or like Eraserhead. But, you know, once I get around to those, which I I do plan on doing because I, you know, really, really enjoy Twin Peaks. I think Blue Velvet is also very Twin Peaks feeling. Um, But I mean, I've also seen Firewalk with me, but that I just lump in with Twin Peaks. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I think he has such an interesting like perspective on like small town life and the stuff that he kind of like the darkness that he pries up underneath and he's such a good character writer too um like there's not a single like side character in twin peaks that's like oh here's the the boring guy that we hate to be around because they're all so quirky and weird but yeah you it's like easy to buy into i think like how strange all these people are that that's i think that's probably his best asset i totally agree with you which i think in like with twin peaks the return um I feel like it's missing a little bit of like the, the folksy charm that uh, the first two seasons of Twin Peaks have. And even though like the middle of the second season gets pretty dry just because he was away from it, um, like the, the world that he created was strong enough to sustain it. Um, yeah, for sure. Others, uh, this is maybe going to seem like a joke answer, but I feel like we've, we've, uh, accepted our love for him on this show paul ws anderson yes um (laughs) i would i did not see this coming but yes this is not ironic the more i think about fuck i think it's the subtitles in the resident evil movies are so stupid (laughs) the fifth resident evil movie the second to last one (laughs) might be just like one of the greatest action blockbuster movies ever made um and i've i've recommended it to people saying that be like you don't have to watch the other ones. Just watch the fifth Resident Evil movie. You'll have a great time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think he is definitely very conscious of how his movies appear and that they're not like meant to be treated like high art. Um, and I think yeah. a lot of other action directors, yeah, I'm not going to like shit on anything too specific, but like people should talk about resident evil five, the way they talk about mission impossible fallout <laughs> being like one of the most exhilarating action experiences. Like Re- res evil five is awesome. Can't wait for monster hunter. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely agree with, with, with that. Um, he's just a grown up child, like smashing action figures together. And he really understands, uh, CG. It was like an early pioneer of mm-hmm, that for sure. So. And I also feel like he is his, he's like the alternative to Michael Bay, right? Like, like the non jingoistic, yeah. self aware Michael Bay. Yes, yep, you, you nailed it. Um, I actually 
I actually have two more. <laughs> we, we, we will get to, I promise, we're going to get to our our featured list, but you just made me think of another director. Um, and it should have been, it, this one, I, I should have mentioned him when we were talking about minority directors, but it kind of just slipped my mind. And that's F. Gary Gray. And um, I don't know why he hasn't had a better career. Um, so, I mean, he's had some flops, obviously. He's, yeah, I mean, the Men in Black three or four what is it men in black four international whatever it was was just was 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 terrible and um you know I, he he kind of got pigeonholed for a minute as an action director with uh man apart and law-abiding citizen and fate of the furious but um straight out of compton and friday are two of i i like have you seen straight out of compton yeah it's i mean as far as those music slash um, biopics, I guess go. It's it's one of the best, in my opinion. I thoroughly especially after I saw that after I saw Bohemian Rhapsody, which is an oh awful god, movie. yes, um, that's that's just the worst one of the it. most annoying things I've ever seen in my life. And then to have your subject like actually treated seriously and like not as romanticized, it's like oh, this is like. Super compelling, and I I love music movies in general. Like not musicals necessarily, but I know what you're saying movies about anything music, about yeah. musicians. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Straight Out Compton is just it's one of the best movies of probably the last twenty years. Like it's definitely in the top fifty for me. And Friday is one of my favorite comedies of all time. Uh, have you seen Friday? I have not. Um, I mean, Chris Tucker as Smokey is one of the all time classic film characters, and. It's just – it's one of those movies I can watch over and over. Me and my friends – I mean it was pr- right in the heyday of – you know, I was 14 when it came out. And so, uh, you know, hip-hop and, and rap, particularly Ice Cube, was big in my friend group. So we – we I mean I've told this story before I think on the podcast where, you know, we stole, we stole a copy of it from the local um, VHS rental place and got in trouble for it. But we love that movie so much. Um, and – also, there's a movie that I think gets slammed in for good reason, but I actually love it. Is uh, Be Cool. Uh, have you ever seen Be Cool? Do you know I haven't. What, you know what Be Cool is? I don't. The sequel to uh, Get Shorty. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, with John Travolta. This, this movie is um, it's honestly comedic gold. The Rock is in it. Vince Vaughn. I uh, mentioned John Travolta, but Cedric the Entertainer, uh, Andre Benjamin, aka Andre Five Thousand. Um, it's uh, it is hilarious in my opinion. Like The Rock and Vince Vaughn are terrific, um, and then of course uh, he also directed The Negotiator with Samuel Jackson and um, Kevin Spacey, which I think is probably um, another underrated film that I really really enjoy. But yeah, F. Gary Gray again. This is a guy who he needed more opportunity. He's a very talented director. I mean, I just named off a couple classic movies, and um, yeah, it's just sad if you look at his body of work. He only has like, let's see, he has ten featured films, and they're just it's just not. He he just hasn't got the opportunity. Um, and it's probably because uh, he cast two close accomplices of Jeffrey Epstein in his movies. You, you think? <laughs> You think that's what it is? Is that is that what? It's happened? the Kevin Spacey, Chris Tucker curse. <laughs> oh, oh, I forgot about Chris Tucker. That is the, talk about a weird connection, right? And we're getting off the rails, but that is a, right. Am I right? Like, come on. It is. It is odd. That is, uh, that is, just 
strange to me. Um, and then real quick, because we need to get into um, our list of of um, of directors, and th- this is one that I want to see more of, and I think she could potentially be on my short list in the upcoming uh, years. Is uh, Lynn Ramsey, um, mm. most most recently uh, directed "You Were Never Really Here," which I think you like that movie, right? I do like that movie, and um, we need to talk about Kevin, another excellent movie. Um, but that's all I've seen of her are those two films. Um, she's got some other stuff. Um, there's a couple movies that I read about when I was like looking at into her, um, rat catcher and, um, uh, hopefully I'm saying this right. Morvin collar. Um, yeah. So those are two movies that, I mean, she's known for kind of being brutal, but those movies have really good reviews that I've never seen. And, uh, she's got obviously other movies, um, that are great family films <laughs> yes great family family films um you would not like i think lynn ramsey like if you associated like if you didn't know that it was a woman or you didn't know her the name and you watched these films you would be like oh they must be an acolyte of like um of um uh, of the school shooting factor. <laughs> I was going to say of like Tarantino or, uh, but Tarantino's takes things, doesn't take things nearly as seriously as Lynn Ramsey. Maybe like Fincher, like the darkest shit in David Fincher movies. Like I think her work kind of lives in that space. Like we need to talk about yeah. Kevin as like one of the yeah. yuckiest movie watching experiences I've ever had. Like I just felt like shit after watching that. Yeah. Uh, and real quick, two other, I'm sorry. I know, but I feel like we should, cover this um uh, quickly um christopher nolan is not on either of our lists and i think a lot of people would have him as well um why did you leave off christopher nolan um i honestly just don't really like christopher nolan um <laughs> like his movies or like, him as a person uh both um oh like, really okay. oh that's interesting okay nolan nolan movies i do like um dunkirk i thought was great um like the dark Knight is like fucking done to death, but I still think it's like an entertaining movie. Yeah. Sure. Um, interstellar I think is bad. Uh, the prestige is entertaining until it reveals that it's like kind of a gimmick movie. Okay. Um, inception I think is decent mm. and I haven't seen tenant yet, but yeah. Um, I, he also I... like ruined movie theaters forever by demanding that tenant be released this summer. So <laughs> he can go to hell. Yeah. I um I think uh yeah I have a love hate relationship with Christopher Nolan. Um people think he's the best director alive and I just I scoff. Let me put it this way. He is one of the best directors alive. I think direction-wise and you know we we should be clear about this. We are talking about direction, not filmmaking in totality. We're not talking about necessarily writing because he's a terrible writer and his brother's terrible. And I think that those are the two biggest problems. So a movie like Dunkirk, which doesn't have a lot of dialogue and it isn't necessarily built on a script. I think he excels at. Yeah. And it totally lives off of the, the spectacle of it. And that is what he's good at. Interstellar. The best parts of that, of, of that movie are some of the shots of, 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 space travel or like actually, you know, um, I think of when, um, they're um on that planet with um Matt Damon, and there's uh, kind of like there's some tension, and there you know people are like he's good at building that kind of visual stuff, but to me, I just I don't 
think he has a like the Dark Knight is a masterpiece in in a way that it it I it's just not the same as other masterpieces on this list. Um, anyways, I, I'm with you. I, I don't hate him as a person. I never really thought about that way, which I thought was interesting. Uh, but then the other one that I wanted to mention was uh, Jeremy Saulnier, uh, who just doesn't have enough movies, honestly. And Michael Mann, who we talked about. Oh yes, week. gosh. Well, the problem with Michael Mann is he hasn't made a movie in a long time. Michael Mann was kind of the impetus impetus of this list for me too. A good, a good call. I'm. Uh, we're talking about a lot of directors here, but we haven't even touched on our favorites. But we're learning today. Yeah, yeah. Um, good, good call on Michael Mann. Um, let, let's let's uh, talk about Michael Mann for a minute because he he was really close to making my list. Um, why didn't he make yours? Um, I haven't seen enough. I and I I was thinking about him before, but then we mentioned The Dark Knight. Um, and like the opening scene of The Dark Knight is just ripped straight out of Heat. Yes. And if fucking if you've seen if you like movies like The Dark Knight and The Town, you've definitely probably already seen Heat. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you haven't, those movies are just like such deliberate, not ripoffs, but like so heavily inspired by what he does with Heat. Even though Heat is like maybe the least Michael Mann, Michael Mann movie. It's like his most Martin Scorsese movie. Yeah. Um, but the way he directs action is so punchy and weighty like a movie like um collateral which is basically the same exact plot as the movie stuber with kamel nanjiani and dave batista that came out last year yeah i thought that I, I i wondered about that anyways go ahead um yeah but collateral's awesome um tom cruise you know delivering a it, it totally sells being like a weird uncanny valley guy that i can never truly buy in any role like, yeah it is built for his personality yeah i agree with that completely yeah uh and really that's like probably the last great movie he made i enjoyed miami vice but i don't think it's a great movie like it's entertaining as hell um but i mean public enemies was not great black hat was pretty bad um i i know a lot of people who defend black hat very vehemently and i haven't seen it but i would be interested to talk to them because i don't really understand that to me, it's um, it's it's weirdly shot, and it doesn't it doesn't feel like a Michael Mann movie. To be frank with you, like I just don't. I don't, if if he, out of all the movies, and like he's uh, we talked about this, you know, when we were talking about coming up with this list, you know, he's done everything from horror to biopic to, um, you know, uh, thriller to period piece. Like he's done it all. But watching Blackhead, it, it just doesn't feel like a Michael Mann movie. Yeah, um, Manhunter is terrific. Thief, which I is I watched recently and it kind of made me think about this list even more. And then of course the Last of the Mohegans. Uh, I mean the dude's done a lot of really good work, but like ultimately, like for me, it's like he hasn't done like Collateral was. I love Collateral too. It's I think it's an excellent movie. But you know that was you know. 26 15 2004 i think yeah and to not have a movie since 2004 that was to in my mind pre-watchable at least or of any merit um it just wasn't enough i mean heat last of mohegans manhunter and thief are prized crown jewels ali is is good uh, but i think it was a little overrated because of will smith and uh the the subject matter to be honest with you um 
But yeah, thanks for bringing up Michael Mann because he was kind of like one of the ones where I was like, man, I want to talk about directors with Drew. Um, but you need to see Thief still, by the way. I yeah, I have a bunch of directors, so I need to work through a lot of their stuff because like whatever most of the people i have on my list i've seen like a good amount of their work and feel like i can actually sure. talk about them but then there are some where it's like oh i love everything i've seen that david cronenberg's done but i haven't seen enough of his stuff to be like yes i'm a david cronenberg fan or um right. yeah michael mann too even right yeah i'm with you uh, the cronenberg is uh is a weird one for me too because i haven't seen a lot of you know i've seen the popular stuff yeah and that's probably it um all right so we're gonna we're gonna hop on this list now we're now we're gonna start our list um do you want me to start or do you want to start do you do you you want me to resend my list because you seem to not know everybody that was on my list no it's i have i have your text open okay um okay. so are we doing overlapping ones last is yeah, that what we talked yeah. about yep. okay so yep. you can you can take off okay i'll start with um since you already mentioned villeneuve i'll start with denny villeneuve um, and this is, this was probably the last cut. Um, he was probably the last one to make my list. Um, just because he's so, uh, new, I guess he, he's been making movies for a while, but, um, I've really only been aware of him for the last, probably since making this podcast to be, to be honest with you, if I'm being frank, I, I don't know that I've, uh, had seen a movie before of his uh, arrival was I think no sorry Sicario was probably the first film I saw of his and that was 2015 that was when we started this podcast um and I was blown away but I really didn't chalk it up to the director really um I mean you also had Deacons on cinematography in that movie which I think is like the most obvious like wow this is like such a cool shot movie right agree so the so the way we're doing this too I think we should um we should say we're going to list our favorite film just because we don't want to talk about all their films. If we talk about all their films, then we're going to be here forever. So um, we're going to talk about our favorite film, our least favorite film, and the f- the most underrated film. How about that? Does that sound good? Sure. So, um, but, you know, I, I, I hadn't seen him before Sicario. And honestly, I, I his other movies are fabulous. I'm looking forward to Dune. Um, but Sicario is by far my favorite of his, uh, you know, well, I, I could go in forever about Arrival and Blade Runner and how gorgeous they are, but Sicario to me, um, is the epitome of his directing style. It's, it's intense. It's well thought out. The characters are terrific. He, um, he shoots action in a really interesting way. And I think, um, that kind of gets lost in, in some, in like in the mind of some directors, he just shoots it really realistically, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's probably my favorite one of his films. Um, I think his worst film is prisoners. And I don't think that that's really debatable. Um, I think that it's, it's a lot of people, I think overrate it at times, but I, to me, it's his, it's his worst film. I think it, it totally falls apart in the third act. Like the twist in that movie, I think is kind of stupid. I completely agree. The twist, it just, it doesn't, it just doesn't make sense in a lot of ways. Like, um, I mean, it does in context of the film, but at the same time, it's like, it, it just, it does, it's not believable. Um, have you seen, uh, Polytechnic or Incendies? Uh, Incendies is fabulous. I've never Incendies, seen... I think, is the underrated 
choice here. <laughs> I well, for me, it was between that and Enemy, because that's fair. I don't think a lot of people have seen Enemy. A lot of people haven't seen Incendies either, but Incendies is is, is terrific. Um, I haven't seen Polytechnic, Polytechnic, which is his, that's his first film, I believe. First, yeah, that was film. his. That one is, I think, more so than any of his other movies. Polytechnic and Incendies are like the hardest to watch, not because they're bad, but the subject matter they deal with is so much more mm-hmm. intense and real than I think he has started to do. Like Sicario is very real, but you can look at it like, oh, this is like, you know, the military and like criminals, and there's a little bit of like dissonance from real people. Whereas like Polytechnic is about um like the worst school shooting in Canadian history and yeah. like that scene plays out for so long. Oh, wow. and then incendies is I, that's, that's a movie where I feel like it's best if you go in blind, not really having expectations for what it's about, but yeah, I totally, I agree with that. That's a great point. And you don't watch a trailer for it either. Cause I think I've seen two trailers and it kind of gives away a little bit too much about the film. Um, the reason I say en- enemy is just because I think that, um, a lot of people didn't understand it when it came out. Have you seen Enemy? Yeah. And a lot of people thought that the ending was just kind of over the top. Um, I don't want to make me jump. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think, I mean, I, I, I went on a deep dive after I watched this movie. <laughs> like I went, like I was like watching video essays on YouTube about it. And I think that it's, I just think that it's a really, really, really deep, uh, film about love and marriage and it's something that like as a married human being I can appreciate it um, and just the duality of man honestly the good and bad enemy uh, feels like his not necessarily like thematically but stylistically and reception wise feels like Villeneuve's uh, under the skin almost yeah for sure yeah it definitely feels like that I agree yeah that's a good comparison. Um, so yeah, so my favorite is is Sicario. Least favorite is Prisoners. And um, do you most, want sorry, favorites from? Are we both giving favorites? Yeah, if for you, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, you go ahead with your last one. Sorry. And then my the most unrated film for me is Enemy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean Arrival is like a very important movie to me. Like I think, like I was into film before that came out. Like I was working at the theater, but I think that was the first one i saw where i was like oh this like it felt very like new and unique to me at the time which maybe it's not um but it it feels like one of his more one of his more personal films and i it it just looks so good and the score is incredible and amy adams jeremy renner's fine in it we can ignore him Mm -hmm. um but yeah and the everything about arrival i'm like i think about it i'm like oh fuck i should watch arrival yeah, let me. I, I would say that I think Arrival is his best movie, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. I, it's not my favorite because it's hard for me to rewatch that movie. I cry every time I watch that movie. Oh, once you've seen it the first time, the opening scene, you're like, oh, the song, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What's your least favorite? Probably Prisoners. Only because I think, like, for the most part, it's a like totally serviceable crime thriller. Doesn't feel as unique as a stuff usually yeah does. right it doesn't feel like a fil- it doesn't feel like a, a villanue film right like it feels I just... like a oh david fincher movie um, <laughs> but 
and you know, not necessarily a bad thing. I Great. think Hugh Jackman and Paul Danauer are both amazing in it. Um, it's just like, yeah, one of the the more forgettable, then underrated, uh, probably Incendies, just because I feel like a lot of people haven't seen it. Yeah, that's mainly because it's in French, but yeah. And I, I highly recommend watching all of his movies to be honest it, with you, but Incendies yeah. might be on Netflix still. It was for a while. Oh yeah. That's how I saw it. But if, if it is definitely check it out for sure. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, what's, uh, what's one of your directors next? We will go with, uh, Martin Scorsese, which feels like the, like obvious white guy answer. <laughs> um, and like, I, I am fully aware of that, but you look at Martin Scorsese's body of work and the different, cause I, I, I feel like when people talk about Martin Scorsese, they are very focused on Goodfellas Casino, Wolf of Wall Street, and I guess now the Irishman. Um, but there's another collection on Criterion channel right now, like a lot of his early documentaries yeah, um, people forget about like Italian, those. Italian American is like I've I've talked about D. A. Penny Baker on here before. He did um, War Room and uh, Don't Look Back, the Bob Dylan movie uh, documentary, mm-hmm. and those are just very like camera in a room, getting just real moments between people, and it's Martin Scorsese doing it with his family, and it does. There's such an interesting moment in it when his father is like arguing with his mom he's like oh you're like you're not acting like how you normally do and it's like such a weird deconstruction of like what performance means but it's just like his family arguing um but he's so selective with the things that he shows i'm not saying that's my favorite martin scorsese movie but like he has even his most like grandiose stories like the irishman is a massive sprawling movie but it is so specific and personal at the same time like it's dealing with all these different times in history and different eras in this guy's life. Um, but it's all building toward this like very quiet, sad, like kind of cold ending, um, which I think he does incredibly well. Um, controversial pick for favorite. I will like fully aware of that is probably after hours. Um, I, have wow, I, hours? I have not. And that, yeah, that is, that kind of shocked me that you just, um, oh, interesting. Uh, now I'm going to have to watch it. I, okay. After hours is, and I'm bringing up the Safties again, the poster for good time is like a direct homage to after hours. After hours is, I saw it after I saw good time. Clearly such a very heavily, uh, heavy influence on the Safties. And uh. like, I think they're probably fully willing to admit that and like martin scorsese was an executive producer on uncut gems yeah um but i think my favorite kind of movie is like oh here's a guy having the shittiest night ever <laughs> yeah. um and it is very much that and it is very funny um which is like i martin scorsese does have a, a an eye for comedy and just like a writes dialogue that is like very entertaining and well done um but yeah maybe maybe that's a better pick for underrated but if i had to watch a martin scorsese movie right now it'd be after hours um underrated i'll say i'll say italian american there's also i think it's called american boy which is another short neither of them are like fully feature length i think italian americans like 45 minutes long 
Um, so like pretty easy to sit down and watch. And I forget shit. I should have written this down. Another documentary he did where he's just like interviewing this guy about his life. And it's this almost like, um, bring up the Safties again, the <laughs> scene in good time where they get the wrong guy from the hospital and he's just being like, Oh yeah. And we were like selling acid and just like recounting this story. And it's really just like an hour long of this guy in a living room talking to Martin Scorsese and he, Martin Scorsese is on camera and it just like kind of sitting down having this conversation and is so deliberate with how he's kind of steering this guy who's like a very good storyteller, but giving him just like very subtle cues to like move along if he's rambling on something or like get different emotions out of him. It's, it's really fascinating. And I think shows how good he is at, highlighting um these like little human moments um amidst these like ridiculous bombastic like crime stories um worst is a difficult one for him honestly um shit man um i guess and this is not worst overall because i don't think i've seen a martin scorsese movie that i was like oh that was bad but of like the trilogy of Wolf of Wall Street, Casino, and Goodfellas, maybe the worst of those three is Goodfellas. Maybe. Interesting. That's an interesting take. It's um, very controversial. I'll say that. And again, I like I love Goodfellas. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a white guy, but <laughs> it it like maybe ha- like ha- so. Have you seen Bringing Out the Dead or? Um... Uh, not that. No. I'm just thinking of like some of his movies that were like Alice doesn't live here anymore is really good. Um, that's another, like his early career is a lot different than his late career. Cause I think he kind of found like where he exists as a, as an older established director. Yeah. I will even say like the, there's three phases of his career because his early career and then the nineties mm-hmm. and then even his late, like you look at something like uh, silence and yeah, Irishman, like, he, so contemplative and, almost like meditative. Yeah. Yeah. And we were talking, we were talking before the show about him doing a devil in the white city movie. Um, and listen, I'm not trying to speculate about anyone's life here, but Mark Scorsese <laughs> is a, is a very old man. Yes. And I think as a last feature, the Irishman is such like a poetic closer. It, it really is. Life. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, and I am, I'm not wishing ill on Martin Scorsese. Um, that'll be a celebrity death that actually rocks me. Are you sure? Because it sounds like it. I'm praying for it. I'm praying for Martin Scorsese to die. <laughs> no, no. Um, but yeah, you know, that's that's what I got to say about Marty. Um, yeah, I, I listen. I will be the first to echo everything you said. And, you know, he's been a part of my life for a long time. Uh, I'm, I remember when I was a young kid seeing Raging Bull and Color of Money and Goodfellas. And before I even knew who he was, um, I remember seeing Cape Fear and thinking, whoa, this is the same guy that did Goodfellas? What? Um, or, you know, this is the same guy who who did Color of Money? Um, there there are some spots. I, I, you know, I haven't, you mentioned After Hours, I haven't seen. I haven't seen New York, New York. I haven't seen the last uh, Temptation of Christ, and I haven't seen Kundan, which I didn't—I'd never even heard of until I was looking at his filmography. 
Yeah. Um, and I mean that movie has got rave reviews. I don't, I, but I've never heard anybody talk about it. Um, but, but my, I, you know, it's a toss up, and this was really hard. I'm like, look, man, what is my favorite, um, my favorite Scorsese film? And uh, you know, if I'm being honest, it's Gangs of New York. Partly because I love Daniel Day Lewis so much, and I think that performance is just terrific and i feel like he should have won best picture for that for this movie mm-hmm. um it's one of you know he had dabbled in period pieces i mean i guess the last temptation of christ is a period piece but not in the same way that um Cundin is or or uh gangs of new york but i just think that that movie have you seen gangs of new york i have yeah uh, you know the direction in that movie is so on point. Like that fight at the end of the movie is just so good. It's yeah. so good. And, you know, Cameron Diaz is terrible in this movie. Um, and that was what, you know, basically people talk about how good Daniel Day Lewis is and how bad Cameron Diaz is when they, when they talk about this movie, but it's, it's just my favorite. I can rewatch it anytime. I love it. Goodfellas is another one that I can rewatch anytime in, <clears throat> The same with Wolf of Wall Street, um, which I I think to me uh, his worst movie is Bring Out the Dead. I remember being excited for that movie when it came out, and it just maybe I should rewatch it. I haven't. I don't think I've seen it in probably fifteen years, but it just it was just really weird. It's a weird movie, um, and it's weird. <laughs> it's a weird Scorsese. It, you would watch that movie in a vacuum and never know that Martin Scorsese directed it. It doesn't yeah. feel like a Scorsese. Kind of like Hugo. Hugo's yeah. worse than Goodfellas. I feel bad about putting Goodfellas as my <laughs> pick for worse because I don't believe that at all. Hey, hey, it's your choice. It's these are opinions. Um, I don't know what my opinion is on his worst. I need to. I need to watch the bad ones. Um, and I think Aviator probably is in there too because I don't. I didn't really care for the Aviator as much as other people. But um, the one that I think is most underrated, and it's a movie that I love, and that's The Color of Money. I mentioned it earlier. Um, it's got Paul Newman and Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise in his heyday. John Turturro is in this movie as a pool shark. It this movie, uh, it's a sequel to The Hustler, but it's man, it has one of the all time best um, uh, uh, like featured song. Like what's it? What's it called when a song is like made for the movie? You know, like it's like. Like an original song. Yeah. It, it, I, I, I love the music in this movie. I, I, it made me want to play pool, honestly. And Paul Newman, this is just classic Paul Newman. Um, if you haven't seen The Color of Money, I highly recommend watching it. Um, Martin Scorsese is the master of making you want to get a job that's not legal. <laughs> right? Yes. It's like, oh, I'd love to run a shitty, like, scammy casino. I'd love to be a gangster. I wish I was Irish. Yeah, exactly. And you'd love to be a pool shark. Um, have you seen Color of Money? I haven't. Uh, if you love Scorsese, it doesn't feel like a Scorsese film in a lot of ways, um, but it's just so well-directed, and it's so fun. To me, it's just a fun movie. Um, Same with After Hours, which I think is just like such a watchable... It's like a tight 90 minutes. Um, You know, it's like very quickly plotted because it has like it's only covering a night that's a you know i already said it was my favorite but everyone check that one out because it's ignored yeah yeah um 
And you know, I'm just gonna say it. If you if you like soundtracks, the Color Money soundtrack is just phenomenal. I'm just gonna go through some some of the titles on this, right? Don Henley, who owns this place, Robert Palmer, Let Yourself In, BB King, Standing on the Edge of Love, uh, Warren Zevin, which you'll know, Werewolves of London is on this. Um, yeah. Um, and then of course the, um, the, sorry, uh, the, um, the actual color of money song, um, which I'm trying to, who's the, it says Robbie Robertson was the, but I thought for some reason I thought it was, um, someone else, but anyways, that song is phenomenal. Uh, great soundtrack. Um, yeah, great choice with Martin Scorsese. I mean, I think it's easy People like to, for whatever reason, people like to shit on Scorsese, and I don't get it because every one of his movies is made with passion and love. And and he's like, he gets coupled in with like Nolan and Tarantino. Is like these are the white guy directors. Yeah. But Martin Scorsese has also done so much for. If you want to talk about a guy who's been like working forever to include different voices in Hollywood, like his world cinema project. Oh, like he's right. been doing that for a while and clearly cares so much about other people's perspectives on things. And yeah, I, he's one of the best. And I think one of the last like old Hollywood people who just seems like a genuine person, like Martin Scorsese comes across as human, which I don't think a lot of them do. <laughs> yeah Um, for sure yeah and just again all of his work is so personal yet like ridiculous and crazy and one of the best not a hot take but (laughs) no it's not a hot take um but uh putting him on your list i think was brave how about that you're a brave man for putting him on your list because i'm gonna get called a white guy in the replies (laughs) that's right um all right so we'll go with um john linkletter for me um, which I think in, in a way is probably, uh, would you say you were surprised that I put him on my list? Hmm. N- no, it makes sense for you. I think. Okay. Yeah. I think in, when I started looking at like my favorite directors, I didn't realize how much I loved John Linkletter until probably until everybody wants some came out. And, um, then it was like, I realized like, man, this guy makes movies for me. Um, you mean Richard Linklater, right? Oh, what did I say? John, I said John, John Linklater. You said John twice. First, I thought it was a slip up. No, uh, it was a slip up. Uh, it's <laughs> Richard Linklater. Definitely Richard Linklater. Oh, yeah. Leave it to Brian. Uh, Richard Linklater. I think I even didn't I text you, John Linklater? I think I even texted. I think you just texted me Linklater. Okay, well, it's Richard Linklater, not John Linklater. Uh, Richard Linklater. Yes, sorry. Um. I would say everybody wants some uh, was probably the reason the moment I was like, Oh, I really, this is, I love his filmmaking and uh, his style. And it's easy to talk about the before trilogy. And I think those are probably his like considered his best films. Um, But, you know, for me, I think my favorite film of his, and you know, again, everybody was probably going to say days and confused, but for me, my favorite film of his is, uh, boyhood and I think it's just it's one of those movies that when I watched it in theater I understand why people hated it I understand why people didn't get it but 
it, I mean, what an incredible achievement that film is. And just from a directing standpoint and to have a vision that takes place over a decade, it just 12 years, I guess uh, it just, it, to me, it was, it's not necessarily a masterpiece in filmmaking, but I think that it is an accomplishment that unlike anything we've ever seen. And, um, it's highly rewatchable and I, I relate, um, to the character in a lot of ways and not because, um, you know, my parents are still together. I had a pretty easy life. I, you know, wasn't shuffled around, but I have a, a really close friend that I think resembles this life. And it was like weird watching it. And I recognized, uh, some of the trauma and the issues that this you know kid went through. Um, and my friend and my friend is now super successful. Um, even though he, he didn't have the best home life and he struggled with, um, divorced parents. Um, but yeah, I, I really, really like boyhood. And I think that, um, uh, it's probably my favorite film of his, my least favorite film of his is this is easy. It's the remake of bad news bears. I, I'll never understand why he made this film. It's didn't need to be remade. I, I get it. He loved it probably when he was growing up or it, I don't know. I don't, I don't know why why he would yeah, that's it's just it's just baffling a choice for him um there's not much else to say about it it's a bad movie it's a bad choice it's not good um and then probably the most underrated movie i, I could pick a lot of because i think a lot of people forget they think of him as like i said the before trilogy and Daisy and confused and that's what people know of richard linkletter um but probably in my opinion his most underrated uh yeah I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna just say it's probably Last Flag Flying just because a lot of people haven't seen it. And um, that was the the Amazon one, right? Yep, yep. With Steve Carell, Brian Cranston, and Lawrence Fishburne. Um, this movie it is powerful, and I I just that's all I'm gonna say about it. I, if you haven't seen it, watch it. It's you know I Carell and Fishburne and Cranston are just. I, I could watch them on screen all day and it's a, it's a really moving film and it's, it's man, uh, you know, basically Carell son, uh, is killed in, uh, Iraq and they have to, he has to go get his body and he asks his three friends to come with him. And it's just, it's a moving, it's a moving experience. Excellently directed, beautiful, beautiful story. Um, yeah, that's it. Um, so Richard Linkletter, what do you think, Drew? Yeah, I haven't seen as much as you have. And you say people only know him for the Before Trilogy and Dazed and Confused, which is about where I'm at with him. Um, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Like I am I am familiar with a lot of his movies. I just like School of Rock. I have not seen. Which is um, surprising. I, I feel like that's a movie you would probably enjoy. It it seems like a movie that would have been in like a car DVD player at one point in my right, life. But yeah. Just never never uh cross paths with it hmm. um but i think the before trilogy is just like some of the best dialogue ever written yeah. in film yeah um and he just has such a sense for like naturalism i know it's a similar case with everybody wants some i just haven't seen it yet mm-hmm. um as far as i'm aware that's a very just like dudes hanging out movie which is great and i think that's what he does well is kind yeah. of these very uh conversational like slices of life even with something as ambitious as boyhood which i also haven't seen um (laughs) which i probably should 
I have it, I think, on Blu-ray. But yeah, it just has a uh a, a really cool style. And like Dazed and Confused isn't a movie with much to speak of in terms of plot, which is kind of the case with all of his movies. <laughs> that is I was gonna say that is the, the, his calling card for sure. Yeah. But I I yet they're somehow still like very entertaining and watchable and you're never like, when is this gonna pick into gear or like kick into gear because it's just like i guess the way i enjoy richard linklater movies that i've seen is a very similar way to how i like um a show like freaks and geeks yes yeah it's like it's just like really fun to watch these characters interact with each other because they all feel very real and like you know somebody like all of these people yeah and it's just like they feel like very lived in movies dude you you hit the nail on the head i couldn't I couldn't agree with that more. That that is a perfect encapsulation, and you kind of gave me chills when you were talking about it. I know that sounds kind of creepy, but I, you know, you're right. It's like, and I realize like, even 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 the last flag last flag flying, there's no like over. There's not this huge arc. It's not like people are really coming to, I don't know, this grand epiphany or something. But it's just like three friends that are just hanging out and they're grieving together. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And even his experimental movies like Scanner Darkly or Waking Life, um, which, you know, I think are misfires in some cases and better than the other. But they're just conversations that happen between people. That's literally what all they are. Um, so, yeah, you really nailed it, I think. Thanks. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't I won't make you choose a favorite um, or I won't make you choose a worst. Um, but out of. You've seen Days Confused and then the Before trilogy. What's mm. your favorite film out of those? Probably Before Sunset's the second one, right? Uh, yes. Yep. Yeah, that that or Before Sunrise. Yeah, I think Before um, Sunset think... is probably the most personal movie of his too, because that's like, yeah. I don't know, that's a yeah. I'm with you on that. I think I think those two less so than the third one uh which is still good but definitely like the weakest link mm-hmm. um and also like the least fun to watch yeah um, for sure <laughs> yeah but those two work so well in conjunction with one another that like in my mind they're kind of just like one cohesive piece with how um before sunrise ends and how the second movie picks up um like there's that time jump in like the kind of cliffhanger at the end of the first movie that i think yeah just transitions so well I, I agree. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so that's my my second choice is Richard, uh, not John Linklater. Uh, and I was as you were talking, I was googling John Linklater. I'm like, is there another guy? But no, <laughs> it's just I don't know why. I don't know why I said it. That's it, just that's how that's how my my brain works sometimes. Hey man, it happens. Uh, all right, your your next choice. Next up, I'll go with. Uh, you know, I feel like a lot of the stuff I have to say about this next director is kind of similar to what I was saying about Richard Linklater, but that's Kelly Reichardt. Um, another director that uh, she's a lot more minimalist than Linklater in terms of just like the periods of time she covers. I think, you know, you have a movie like Boyhood or even like the Before Trilogy, which covers like a considerable amount of time in somebody's life. Um, whereas Kelly Reichardt, kind of focuses on like okay here's like a really major event in someone's life or just like a 
them experiencing some sort of like emotional epiphany. Um, you know, you look at a movie like Wendy and Lucy, it doesn't, it's another one that doesn't have like a super strong or like not strong plot, but like heavy plot. It's more just kind of like getting a sense for who Wendy, the main character is and like the relationship with her dog and how that pays off in the end. And it's like one of the saddest movies I've ever seen. Um, and she, she focuses so heavily on just kind of like people that otherwise aren't like focused on in movies. Like no one, not many people are just going to make a movie about like a homeless woman and her dog or like a movie <laughs> right, like yeah. old joy where it's just like two college friends going on a hike and being like, damn man, think about like the stars. Um, another, maybe I think my pick for underrated movie of hers is probably night moves. Have you seen that? Actually, I forgot that that, so just in to preface this, you know, Kelly Reichardt, I'd only seen, I told you I'd only seen two of her movies. That was Wendy and Lucy and Meeks cut off, but I have seen night moves and, um, I actually really like night moves. Um, night moves is, um, for those who don't know, it is her most, uh, plotty movie. I think it's Jesse Eisenberg basically becoming radicalized into being a, like an environmental terrorist. Uh, he gets like kind of in on this organization that's going to blow up this dam. That's like causing a lot of damage to like the ecosystem around this, like natural, like, protected forest um and it is like the most intense i've seen her films get um kind of shows that she can build tension and dude it's not violent per se there is violence in it um but but it's probably jesse eisenberg's best performance um he is definitely close because yeah he is really good in this movie especially in the third act like he has this like such a dark shift um, towards the end of the movie that is so well done. And he's like, he's so believable as just a dude. Um, like Jesse Eisenberg just looks like a guy and his kind of descent into like these mistakes that he kind of gets into deep with, um, is really compelling, but it also at the same time doesn't like you also understand why he's doing the things he's doing Mm -hmm. and like the other people he surrounds himself with. Um, like it never feels like it's trying to vilify them. It's just being like, okay, you understand where these people are coming from and like, here's what they're going to do and here's how it backfires. And like, do they probably have good intentions? Yeah. Um, yeah. Night moves is great. Yeah. I think think the first part, I just want to say, I think the first part of night moves is, um, it is, like as procedural procedural suspense it's probably one of it's it's one of the best uh at building that the first part of that movie is just full-on suspense um Mm -hmm. and i don't mean that like that can sometimes be like a pejorative and i mean that like in a good way like it is as your seat kind of like where is this going like what you know what choices is he going to make um i also i think peter skarsgård in that movie is fabulous as well right yeah um but yeah, anyway, sorry, go on. Yeah, um, and so then I've already talked about both of these, but favorite movie I've seen of hers, Wendy and Lucy. Least favorite, I already touched on Old Joy. It's very short. It's like an hour and 15 minutes long. Um, and I don't dislike it, but it, and there's there's plenty of movies I like where it's just like two white guys talking about like life, man. 
Um, like Paddleton was one of my favorite movies of 2019. And that's <laughs> yeah. just really like two friends talking. Um, there's a couple of scenes in old joy where it's like, okay, one of the characters specifically is like, you're being really annoying. Um, but it's also not bad. And I'm going to stick that as the worst that I've seen though. I haven't seen first cow yet. Um, excited to, I've heard mixed to positive things about it. I didn't really start to hear people like really throwing any criticism towards it until recently. Um, mm-hmm. but, you know, Meek's cut off. Great. Certain women. Great. Um, so yeah, Kelly Reichardt. Yeah. I've only seen three of her movies, so I don't think, I mean, it's, it's, fair of me too i think um you're right as far as nightmares being underrated because i i forgot that that was even one of her movies because it, it is like the least kelly reichardt movie that mm-hmm. i've seen that she's done but um i loved Meek's cut off though but part of that is because i love westerns and um i love sl- slow building movies too but that and... movie's so interesting too because it's like it's rated g like <laughs> it's rated g i didn't know that I'm 95% sure. Wow. Um, How is that? Oh, no, it's PG. Never mind. Even that is surprising. PG. Wow. Yeah. Um, Just the tension in that movie, I would think, would give it a higher rating than that. But I guess there's not really... Oh, interesting. I did not know that. Um, But she's a very patient storyteller, and that's from the three movies I've seen. Um, I, I... I like Wendy and Lucy probably the least, but that's probably just because and it's not like it's, it's like you with Goodfellas. It's not like it's a bad movie. It's just, I don't know. Anytime there's dogs in danger. <laughs> like, Oh, uh, that movie especially wrecked me. Cause I watched it not that recently after, but like relatively close to, cause we had a dog named Lucy who passed away. Oh God. Um, but yeah, no, Wendy and Lucy is like, what a picture. <laughs> what a picture. Um, okay. Well, anything else you want to say about Kelly Reichardt, which I think is a, that is a perfect Drew Mascherelli pick. Cause I know you loved her. We talked about that when we talked about, um, our anticipated movies and you were really anticipating mm-hmm. first cow. Yeah. I just haven't got, I was hoping to be able to see it in the theater in some capacity, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. It's out on blue right now, but yeah. Um, I think the only one, I think certain women and meeks cut off might be on amazon i think night moves is on netflix that's where i saw it like a year and a half ago so yeah, yeah you know take sure. that with a grain of salt but if you're gonna start with one um i think night moves is like not that any of them are inaccessible but they a lot of her movies could come across as like maybe dry to some people um but if you're looking for one to pick out of this bunch i think night moves is probably like the most widely accessible one wendy and lucy i also think is like not hard to get into but old joy and meek's cut off i think might be might be tougher yeah just like recommend to somebody be like you need to watch this movie about like pioneers just kind of (laughs) walking yeah yeah good point (laughs) but it's great and like super compelling so and it's like pg wow um (laughs) uh so i have one more director you have one more director that we that aren't on both of our lists. And then we'll talk right. about our, uh, the overlap here. Um, so I, I'm interested to talk about this director because I don't, you, you kind of, uh, said something pejorative about him earlier. Um, and, that, and that's David Fincher. So David Fincher, oh, no, I wasn't, I wasn't being, okay. You're safe. <laughs> okay. 
Um, David David Fincher is, uh, in my opinion, he's one of the best directors working, and um, he. So I listened to a podcast about him. It was uh, the Big Picture Show did like a breakdown of uh, the ranking his works, and they were, they even like did went into like ranking his commercials and music videos and stuff like that. Um, and uh, I want to so. Um, Monk, his latest film came out, um, I think this week or last week. And I, I wanted to, you know, I think maybe drew, maybe we could review that sometime before Christmas. I'm down. I forgot that was coming out. Yeah. Same. Well, I mean, movies, it's, it's a weird, don't time. exist anymore. Yeah. Um, so we'll probably review that sometime before the end of the year, hopefully. But, um, uh, Fincher in my mind is just, he, when it comes to actually directing, because you know we're, we live in, an, in a, an era, and most of the people on this list are writer directors, right? They, they, the films that they are directing, they have written themselves. You know, auteurs, auteurs. That's the popular thing right now. Well, David Fincher is not a writer, and he's been very blunt about it. he doesn't even rewrite scripts, he doesn't rewrite scenes, um, and you know, even if he does, he does not take credit for it. Um, which I think is very interesting. Um, but I also heard he's a big dick and he's hard to work with. And that is uh, why he tends to work with the same people over and over again. Um, because if uh, he, he's just, he's, he's tough to work with. And a lot, I mean, you, that's been said. And I think you would uh, agree. That's been said with like a lot of directors and I'm not saying it's a good thing. But yeah. I'd never heard that about him being an asshole, but I believe you, you know, Kubrick was notoriously an asshole. Hitchcock was a creep. Um, not saying that this is Tarantino. Yeah. uh, Roman Polanski, (laughs) Woody Allen. Yeah. It, it, these things, I mean, it, it, it is what it is, but, um, not saying that Fincher's ever been accused of any kind of sexual impropriety, but this is, that's not what I was implying. Okay. They're, they're hard, they're hard to work with, you know? Um, but in my mind, I think he is probably one of the most talented directors and, um, you know, I want it kind of similar to Scorsese in the fact that like, man, when I have to pick out like, Oh, what's his worst film? Like, I don't want to do it because, um, I enjoy all his films. Um, but I'm going to start there because it, I think this is the easiest film to, to pick off the list. And that's Benjamin button, the curious case of Benjamin button, which in retrospect does not feel like a, a Fincher film at all. <laughs> and, uh, it's mind boggling when I look at his filmography, that that's a film that he made. Um, and it's it's just honestly it's it's just partly it's bad because Brad Pitt is forced to act and I don't think that Brad Pitt is necessarily a great actor. He's good in certain roles and that's part of his success in Hollywood has been um being cast and put in the proper position for him and his skill set and I think it just asks too much of him um this role. Um, so that's my least favorite film of David Fincher's is Benjamin Button. I've seen it once. I'll probably never see it again. My favorite film. And I don't think this is a secret to anybody is seven. Um, I think it's just as far as, as this genre of crime detective solving murders, it, it is far and away the best. Um, Morgan Freeman is amazing. This is good. Brad Pitt. This is Brad Pitt basically playing himself. And um, just some of the best dialogue written. I know he didn't write it, but as far as his direction of of delivering lines, Seven is is a masterpiece in my mind. Um, it just it's it's tense. It's kind of a horror film. It's kind of not, but it's also oh the 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 crime scenes in Seven are like 
some of the nastiest, like creepiest things I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> for sure. For they sure. Are, like yeah. the production design of those alone is like incredible. It's like saw. Yeah. It, no, you're right. And I think saw owes uh, a lot of its, uh, ideas to, to seven, to be honest with you. Uh, and then, you know, trying to pick out a film, uh, that's underrated. Cause I think there's a lot of underrated films of his that, you know, people kind of wrote off or don't appreciate. Um, but I'm going to choose panic room because I think that people forget about this film. It's one of the forgotten, um, early 2000 thrillers. Um, have you seen panic room? I haven't. It's been on my list forever. So it, it the cast alone <laughs> is pretty remarkable. It stars uh, Jodie Foster, uh, and it has a young Kristen Stewart as her daughter. Um, and basically they buy a house that has a panic room, not because it has a panic room. It just happens to have a panic room and, um, three, uh, three robbers, Jared Leto, Dwight Yoakam and Forrest Whitaker break in and because there's something in the house, uh, that the owner had left behind that they want. And of course, um, Jodie Foster and Kristen Stewart lock themselves in a panic room and it's a cat and mouse game inside this house so it's like all in one location it's super tense um dwight yokum is remarkable in this movie um great villain he's a surprisingly great actor too by the way um i'm a big dwight yokum fan anyways um but this is just this i mean this is this is almost hitchcock-esque in the tension and the way he builds it and i think that um you know, this is early on in his career, but I think that uh, if you haven't seen Panic Room, um, it's wholly entertaining and it's a lot of fun. Um, highly recommend it. Um, yeah, Drew, your thoughts on David Fincher? Going to agree that Seven is like by far, not by far, because I think yeah, like Zodiac and Social Network also I think are like yeah. right up there with it. As much as like I had already kind of made my mind up about um. Jesus, why am I the writer for Social Network? Oh, uh, Sorkin, Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, um, I don't like how Aaron Sorkin writes dialogue, um, and I think there's like the opening scene of Social Network is very Sorkin-esque and like people fast talking <laughs> and being way too witty with each other. We're like, that's not how people talk. Yeah, right. Um, but Social Network, like, once it kind of gets past that point, which it does pretty quickly, I'm like that's how I feel about most movies that Sorkin's written. Um, like Steve Jobs has a couple of scenes where it's like people walking down hallways and fast talking at each other. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this, we're not talking about Aaron Sorkin here. Um, least favorite. And I'm probably going to get more enemies. I have, I have two pick. Hmm. Okay. Easy pick for my least favorite is fight club. Yeah. I think that's his most overrated film. Um, maybe more controversial pick for one. I don't love is gone girl. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, and I, I have never been able to put my finger on why exactly I don't love that one. Um, it feels like there's a stiltedness that feels very intentional that I just find like difficult to get invested in. If that makes sense, like it almost feels like a Yorgos Lanthimos movie with how people talk to each other and that, um, <laughs> sure, sure. I could buy that. And, and not fully that like absurd and weird and being like, oh, I touch my penis sometimes. That is so interesting, <laughs> child. Um, like killing yeah. of a sacred deer. Yeah. But 
yeah and i i think like the 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 payoff in gone girl isn't great whatever like gone girl's fine um it's just one that i think people are like this is one of the greatest like thrillers ever made and like well you could look at I have three other David Fincher movies I'd put above that. And one of those underrated, which you haven't touched on yet is the game. Yeah, that um, was hard. I was between the game and panic room. I'm glad you picked the game. I think the game was that, I think the game was the first David Fincher movie I saw. Um, and it is just like, what a cool movie. Um, and in terms of, I guess if people haven't seen it, the big risk with any movie is being like it, the twist is so fun, but <laughs> yeah. like the game is a setup. Like the entire movie is a setup for a punchline um, at the end. And it is just such like a fun, like if they made the game now, it would be a YA adaptation. Yeah, for sure. Um, actually they did that. That movie nerve was basically the game. Yeah. But yeah. Dude, that's a great point. Yeah. Teens. Um, you know, Michael Douglas, Sean Penn, two of the probably like rudest guys alive do a great job in it. Um, just like such a fun, well-executed concept that like has a, a lot of, again, like really strong tension and yeah, the game is great if people haven't seen it. Yeah. It's, um, it's one of those movies that, uh, you wouldn't think would live up on a rewatch, but it really does. It's just a fun movie. It really, oh, I, th- I think I liked it better. Like I really loved it the first time I saw it, but then I watched it again. I'm like, Oh, this is an awesome movie. <laughs> like it, it's probably his like pulpiest for sure movie. Like it's yeah. very silly. Um, I mean, it, like it takes itself, like presents itself as taking itself very seriously, but I think like everyone involved is aware of like how silly of a concept it is. And like, by the end it's like explicitly obvious where it's like, Oh, this is like, we're not taking anything here seriously. Um, but yeah, I, the game is awesome. Yeah. It's, it's, um, and it's, I'm surprised it didn't spawn sequels to be frank. I, I don't know how well it did at the box office, but it just seems like a movie that Hollywood would like to make seven of, <laughs> you know, um, the game too. game over. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, so David Fincher on my list, not yours because you hate him. Um, he was on my short list. I only said um, maybe the reason we thought that was a pejorative was because we were talking negatively about Prisoners, but I still think Prisoners is a good movie. Okay. And the, the crime aspect of Prisoners feels a lot like a Zodiac or Seven to me, at least. Which I, is kind of like... In my mind, those are the two like quintessential Fincher movies. Yeah. Like that's kind of who I see him as as a director. I'm like, oh, he's the guy who does the serial killer movies, even <laughs> though that's only two of them. Yeah. yeah. No, I see what you're saying. I definitely feel you. And he, uh, I, he's more of a crime director, honestly. Yeah. Like yeah. if you look at his film filmography, I mean, almost every film with the exception of a few are about crime in some, breaking, some way. Breaking the law. Yeah. Um, all right. Your last non crossover. This one, I feel like I'm going to have the least smart things to say about because I, this director is, I think, just like a really smart guy. But Terrence Malick, um, which I was looking at your letterbox score for my favorite Terrence Malick movie, The Thin Red Line. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe we disagree a little bit on some of this. Um, but his, like, first, in terms of a guy who is just like in control of a scene and camera placement, like especially in the thin red line, like it gives itself so much time to just like look at landscapes, even though it is a 
a war movie through and through. Um, got nominated for Best Picture alongside Saving Private Ryan. I think it's a better war movie than Saving Private Ryan. Um, and just this like, because there's no real central character to some of his movies do, but especially like a movie like The Thin Red Line, where it's just like, okay, how are events affecting people? And he has all these like schmaltzy intellectual like monologues that I totally understand if people are turned away by and like, that's like pretentious garbage, um, <laughs> which is like totally reasonable, but yeah, just a, uh, amazing visual director, I think. And you also look at like older films of his like Badlands too, which like that came out in 76, I want to say, uh, um, 73. Fuck. Um, <laughs> close enough, but like even then uh that early in his career just had these beautiful landscapes and you know i think badlands is like the least malik malik movie mm-hmm. um because it's mostly just like bonnie and clyde um but it's still really good and i feel like i should put that as because i haven't like there are a couple terrence malik movies if you're like this one sucks like king of cups i haven't seen or knight of cups whatever that one's called um and song to song i haven't seen but when he hits i think he hits hard um and yeah just another like very personal yet sprawling and ambitious director uh so what's your what's your favorite oh thin red line thin red line and then your least favorite probably badlands and then underrated um I think all of his like great movies are pretty appropriately rated. And I think there are people who would like argue that like Badlands is his best movie. Um, <laughs> underrated. Um, Cause like tree of life is appropriately rated. Um, <laughs> what are your thoughts? I'll come up with an, underrated. yeah, sure. Uh, so I think we have like opposing views on Terrence Malick, which I think is interesting. Um, uh, my favorite movie of his is Badlands, which um, I haven't seen in probably 15 years, so I should probably revisit. But there's something – so I – the Starkweather Fugate killing spree of the 50s, which is like – it's a this is based on a true story. I don't know why, but ever since I've seen this movie, uh, I've been obsessed with that like idea. And I think that uh, Martin Sheen and Sissy Spacek are – just terrific in that film and i think it's the least i guess malik film maybe that's why i like it so much um i would say and i like the thin red line that i don't really know what you meant by when you said uh i think oh i I just saw you had like three stars um four stars but come again um it's okay remembered it's okay no I mean, you th- it, you have a five star review on it. I, I would, so I was checking out and see. Um, my least favorite film of his is Tree of Life. I just think it's. I think he has become super pretentious since so, in the last ten years. To be honest with That's you, fair. like Knight of Cups. Um, actually, you know, I will say you haven't seen Song to Song. I I, did, I actually kind of like that movie. I know that a lot of people didn't. It, it, yeah, I only mentioned that because I heard not great things about it. I haven't seen it. Um. But I think his most underrated movie is a new world, the new world. Sorry, yep. um, I like that to me is like what I wish Terrence Malick did more of. 
because it's contemplative. It's a story. Um, it's honest. It's raw. And I, I don't know. Uh, it's actually one of the better performances by Colin Farrell. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. That to me is what, when I think of, of Terrence Malick and what I wish he was, I think it's, I think it's the new world. And I don't think many people know how good that film is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think, um, for underrated and I think a lot of people really like this movie, but going back to more early Terrence Malick days of heaven, yeah, um, I've never another seen one it. that I think is beautifully shot and just this like very idyllic view, idyllic, but also like very gritty and real look at like sort of the turn of the century and labor around that time. And it's set largely in one location. Um, yeah, just like beautiful look at like the Texas panhandle uh, landscapes and yeah, Days of Heaven. Check it out, folks. Yeah, I have to check it out because that's a movie I haven't seen of his. I think Malik has an interesting career because between Days of Heaven and Thin Red Line, there's like almost 20 years. Not 20 years, but like 15 years maybe. No, 20 he years. He famously like disappeared. Yeah, 20 like years. didn't appear anywhere for the longest time. Yeah, it was 20 years between um, Days of Heaven and Thin Red Line. Wow, what a Thin Red Line like, coming back from. That's Anyway, sorry. Um, Thin Red Line also has like a seven-hour original cut. And I forget geez. who... There's somebody in that movie who, while they were filming it, is like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm the main character, and then is like in a scene. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it was it uh, John Cusack. Yep. Yeah, yeah you're right. Um, yeah. And like, you look at the cast for that movie, and like every two seconds, you're like, is that Woody Harrelson? And then he's yeah. in like 30 seconds and gets his ass blown off with a grenade. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, if you just go down that, the cast, it's, it's, I mean, Nick Stahl, like I'm not even talking about the main people, but like Nick Stahl's in it. Uh, Jared Leto, like Tim Blake Nelson. There's a lot of faces that you'll recognize. Thomas Jane is in that movie. Um, yeah. And I also kind of going back, cause I made a flamboyant statement about it being better than saving private Ryan. Bring that up because, like, <laughs> I also think Saving Private Ryan is like a very well-made movie. Um, not really a fan of like Spielberg doing real events. I think he handles it weirdly sometimes, and I think whatever Saving Private Ryan's great, but it can't decide whether it's like war is so senselessly brutal, mm-hmm. or it's like, but this is what we have to do, and here's Tom Hanks, yeah, uh, lying in the road shooting at the tank before he dies. It's like hoorah America, and like the scenes with old Matt Damon that bookend it again, all the, the scenes that are great in saving private Ryan are like excellent. Um, but I think thin red line as a thesis on war and its effect on humanity and like, cause Terrence Malick's a very spiritual guy. Um, and it comes across very heavily in his yeah. movies and like thin red lines also so heavily, like through its monologues and just like the natural landscapes it shows, so much about like man's connection to nature and how like humans are betraying the earth. Like there's all these beautiful shots in thin red line where it's like panning over this hillside and like the very far back you see like explosions going off from like mortar shells and stuff. But it's like, Oh, following this butterfly and then juxtaposed with these like really brutal battles. I think thin red line is one of the best. He's definitely a talented director. I just, I wish I enjoyed his his storytelling better. I just, I just, it's just not my my thing. I respect and, it. Yeah, and uh, but I, I totally get somebody who would put him 
because he is very fish. He's a visionary director. I mean, there's no question that he, um, he sees life and he sees um, filmmaking through a different lens. And I appreciate I, that. I've yet to see a hidden life because I couldn't. I was really trying to see it in theaters last year, and could never. Like the one theater near me that was showing it was at like always a really inconvenient time, and I still have to see that. And I feel like I've never seen one of his movies in theaters. I feel like it probably services just the way he shoots things. But I need to watch yeah. that soon because I, from what I know, it's really great. And it's him like super explicitly dealing with religion um, kind of through, I forget where, I think it's occup- like Nazi occupied Holland or something. Um, yeah, seems fascinating. Looking forward to checking that out eventually. All right. So let's, uh, let's talk about where we overlap. And I, I'm going to start with, um, the Coens because they have probably the most robust um, filmography out of um, of everybody that we really talked about. Honestly, I mean, uh, with the exception of Scorsese, mm-hmm. um, and they even even Scorsese, they they rival as far as the amount of uh, films they've made, and they've been making movies for a long time. You know, since the early eighties, mid eighties. Yeah, I mean, if I had to pick a favorite director, it would be the Coen brothers. I think just in terms of a like pr- plurality of films that they've made, where I'm like, this is it doesn't get better than this. You know. Yeah, um, and, and like they, five star movies. They're, the Coens have more than anyone, and they cross genres too. They they like go from you know, they they can do anything comedy. They can do um, western. They do um, crime thriller, mob. Like they just they do everything. I mean, yeah, it's... It, but like at the same time, are taking like their very specific sensibilities and worldview and like applying it across genres, which yeah. I think is like maybe the most compelling thing about them because I think they're like philosophy on the world is like you know maybe there's a god maybe there isn't don't think about it too hard because you'll never know until <laughs> you're gone yeah, yeah 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 and like things are random and people are like stupider than we give them credit for and are terrible to each other um and yeah no i like they kind of apply that like i don't think there's a single movie they've done that doesn't touch at those themes. Recently, I watched uh, Blood Simple for the first time. Ooh, nice. Um, which is such an interesting movie to me because, like, it's nowhere near their best. But it feels like they made Blood Simple thinking that they're never going to get a chance to make another yeah. movie again. Yeah. They're like, we need to get at because it's like not it's like ninety minutes long. I think it's like maybe ninety seven. Um, but there is there's so much there that exist in their later movies too and how consistent they've been across their entire career with just like how they view the world and the way people act um just fascinating fascinating directors yeah i definitely agree with everything you said i also think that they have a a unique talent for bringing out the best in uh actors Oh, you want to uh, talk about Brad Pitt? Brad Pitt and Burn After Reading. Yeah, yeah. Like, yep. so good. Yeah. They they do, they do cast probably better than almost anybody, anybody in Hollywood. Um, they do, they, it's just, yeah. Uh, if you look at some of the actors that uh, are in leads in their films, you I, like, um, oh, we'll get to it. I, I'll get there in a minute. But I just, I, I think that they just, man, they just, they're, they're, they're terrific. They're great at what yeah. they do. Um what is your what is your favorite my favorite and this is a 
a movie that's become like very personal to me over the past couple of years since I saw it for the first time. But Inside Lewin Davis is, I think at like this point in my life, the like film that means the most to me. Mm. I think just the like themes that it gets at, because like Lewin is like a fuck up and like lives very aimlessly and kind of like accidentally self-sabotages at every possible like opportunity he has but it's just like a guy going through it (laughs) Um, Uh yeah that's a great way to put it yeah 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 and it's another like pretty plotless movie which is rare for them because i think usually they're like very heavy on yeah like i'll get to a couple other cohen movies that i i really want to talk about um, but more so than other ones, it's just kind of about a person and he's, I think maybe like he is an asshole, but is probably their most like relatable protagonist. Cause he's not a, like a pawn in a wider, like a game that they're creating. Uh, there's a really, any, uh, really interesting interview that Guillermo del Toro did where he's like interviewing the Coen brothers and he asks them about the scene in the movie where he's on the highway and he's driving and he like passes Akron, which is where his um like the son that he didn't know was born yeah, lives. Yeah. Yeah. And he just like looks at the sign and he's like clearly like thinking very heavily about it and then just like keeps driving. And Del Toro was like, Yeah, why'd you why was that the the choice in the movie? And they're like, Yeah, I don't know. We just thought like that's what a bad movie would do and we were trying to make a good movie. <laughs> and there the way that they write scripts is so interesting yeah. to me. And I think it's it's apparent once you know this and like watch their movies is that they like write them chronologically without like sometimes having like an end goal in mind, but kind of just write them as they go, which I think is super interesting and weird that all their movies work as well as they do. (laughs) Um, But then you look at a movie like burn after reading where it's like, you know, okay, two like dumbass like planet fitness employees <laughs> find this like highly classified or what they think is a highly classified floppy drive or CD of like CIA information and just them like totally fucking that up and how like I I think that's probably my pick for underrated that or a Miller's Crossing which I also really love um like burn after reading is so funny uh, like that's probably like the movie that I'd point to of theirs that is the most comedy just cause like so ridiculous. And you have like JK Simmons at the end in the Pentagon having like basically the plot of the movie explained to him. <laughs> um, but in like very like, yeah. um, like dry terms. And he's like, Oh wow. All right. So we're just going to cover this up like that. That was stupid. Right. Like this wasn't even classified information. Like who cares? Um, yeah. Burn after reading is incredible. And as with Miller's crossing, if like, want to talk about genres that is so heavily just a mob movie but with their kind of style like okay there's a million characters here with like very specific needs out of each other and their paths are crossing and like the audience kind of always having this like omnipotent view of everything that's happening and are aware of like okay this person knows this this person knows this they don't know that each other knows that and like kind of waiting for it to all like build up to a climax and it is almost always a super satisfying payoff. That is um, a lot of people regard Miller crossing as one of the best scripts ever written in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, and then what but is I, your, I, I, I'm sorry. sorry. No, go ahead. Um, 
but I still think at the same time, like not a lot of people have seen no, it. Like, it that's, feels like it's yeah. never in the conversation for Coen Brothers movies, and I think totally it is agree. one of their best. Uh, what now? And what is your least favorite? <sighs> Probably True Grit. Um, I haven't seen the bad Coen Brothers movies. <laughs> I haven't seen um, uh, Intolerable Cruelty or Lady Killers. I own both of them, but it's like. I could watch the ones I like or ones I haven't yeah, seen right. that I know I'll like. Um, but True Grit, not a bad movie by any stretch. It just kind of feels like the like least compelling story that they've told. Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. And it's like I, I typically like Westerns a lot. Like there are plenty of contemporary Western movies that I've really liked recently. Like I uh, Sisters Brothers I thought was great. But yeah, something about True Grit just – didn't really click with me and never found it as like even slow moments in other Coen brothers movies. There's like a lot of excitement to it. Um, or at least like, you know, a lot to think about with like Lewin Davis, which is never like a, an exciting movie. It's just a guy hanging out <laughs> yeah, and like playing some cool songs. Um, but there's a, a lot of emotional weight to it and there's emotional weight to true grit too, but it, I don't know. feels like the weakest of their, their good movies to me. Interesting. Um, so I, I'm with you on like, so I was, for me, I was like trying to think of, so Inside the Wind Davis is probably my favorite, um, but you, I knew you were going to pick it as your favorite. And uh, it's strange because I I never, I, I would, when I looked at their filmography, I never would have said, oh, Inside the Wind Davis is my favorite. But when I started looking at their movies, I'm like, you know what? I think that is my favorite. But I, True Grit is also one of my favorites, and I think it's funny. It's Whoops. your least favorite. No, it's good. <laughs> Differing of opinions, man. So it makes the world go round. I think that True Grit, um, and and the reason I like, I love westerns, but I also I think um, the original with John Wayne was one of my is one of my favorites. Uh, John Wayne performances, and seeing um, them make this movie their own, and they change this, uh, they change it. It's closer to the book actually than. Uh, than the original, but Matt Damon uh, and Jeff Bridges' performance is just—I mean, it's outstanding. And I—I I really appreciate this movie uh, a lot more than I think you did. Um, but I get what you're saying because it's not as as um, it has probably one of the worst. Man, the when the horse dies—that's like yeah. brutal. But um, like oh, worse. Sorry, I thought of a worse Coen Brothers movie than that that I've seen. Okay, which is? <laughs> uh, Buster Scruggs. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. I, it's I can like, see that. It's fine. Yeah, I could see that. I, I, I'm not a huge fan of that either. Lady Killers is terrible. I'll just be honest with you. That I mean, you haven't seen it yet, and I just... Tom Hanks trying to do Coen Brothers. It, we talk about them, you know, casting films. That was uh, just a misfire, and it, there's a reason... The DVD is within arm's reach. I got it from Goodwill for a dollar fifty. So, and <laughs> that's well worth dollar fifty. Good, good job. <laughs> um, I they I think and then this is I don't know. Maybe my opinion will change, but Hail Caesar to me is the most underrated film because that movie didn't get love at all when it came out. Similar to Burn After Reading, I think that you could compare the two as far as like that's like an era of their work too. Burn After Reading is like late two thousands, but kind of that stretch of. 
Coen movies. Even True Grit, I think people don't really talk about that much. Yeah, no, I agree. And a serious man could be thrown in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think Hail Caesar is just, it's a love letter, but it's also like a condemnation of Hollywood. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's at the same time, it's a love letter, but at the same time, just being like as hard as hell on, on the, the, the Hollywood system and the, 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 the way that actors were treated and still are treated and as properties and the studios just manhandling, uh, or, or, or blackballing. Like I just, and speaking of casting, I just think their ability to actually get a good performance out of Josh Brolin is, yeah is masterful. Um, but yeah, I don't have anything. They did it twice with, uh, that and no country for old men yeah yeah right exactly. which i feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't at least mention like that's the one that everyone's like oh no country for old men Rewatched it relatively recently um still good folks the like javier bardem in that movie is maybe one of the best performances in anything mm-hmm. sure um, yeah like the and again, it's like fucking been circle jerk to death on like Reddit. It's the it's the but fight like, club the of the Coens. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Like the coin flip scene, and again, it's like all Cormac McCarthy's writing. Yeah, um, right. Which you know, but I also like whatever I talked about Cormac McCarthy two episodes ago. But their style kind of blends well together because he also has this like very damning view at view of human nature, um, and. No Kind of Old Men is like the least funny Coen Brothers movie. Like it yeah. doesn't really dwell in like the absurdity of it. Like how absurd the story is, is kind of where it like drives the the darkness of it all from is that it's like, oh, this is completely random. And like Llewellyn's fate being off screen is I think just like fits so well with how both of those or b- all three of them kind of operate the Coens and McCarthy. So, yeah. Uh, how funny is it that, uh, inside Lewin and Llewellyn, um, were two. Yeah, good really. Um, but you know, I, we didn't even mention Big Lebowski or Fargo. Um, but Old I do, Brother, Art Thou. yeah, I was going to say, I, I want to say the thing, uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, they, they do have this penchant for music because even if you look in like the Big Lebowski or, um, uh, Raising Arizona, they they just they know music as well, and I think that's an important um, mm-hmm. aspect of their filmmaking is their ability to mix in music. Um, but yeah, like the original songs for Lou and Davis I listen to outside of like I want to listen to a soundtrack, which I never usually do. Oh, same. Um, I'm I'm like, completely with you. Yeah, well is like probably one of my favorite songs. Yeah, I love um, it. I'm with you. Or even like uh, what's it? Green Green Rocky Road is another one that's yes like out there to listen to. It's like great. Justin Timberlake, great in that movie. Again, casting, just like very smart choices. Adam Driver's short cameo. I could talk about Inside Lou and Davis for like three hours, but. John Goodman. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. The friend of the Coens. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, same, same. Um, all right. So let's uh, let's go on to our last director. Um, and of course, I, I'm i not going to. I saved him for last because he is my favorite director. Paul W S Anderson. <laughs> I was I was happy to see you have him on your list because I wasn't sure. I don't know if we ever. Really, I mean, I blow I blow Thomas PTA. I blow him all the time. So uh, everybody in the podcast that listens knows. But I, I don't know that I'm really sure that you were that into him. Um, what are your favorites 
and least favorite and so on favorite i'm i'm coming at this with a lot of controversial choices today i think <laughs> um and i i think i know what your favorite is but inherent vice is so fun um and it, uh, pta has like a very difficult style to nail down like you know a paul thomas anderson movie when you see it but if you just had like phantom thread and inherent vice next to each other you wouldn't be like oh yeah those <laughs> yeah. movies were like the two subsequent ones from each other in his filmography like they're so different yeah um, i totally agree with that yeah. i i love how because inherent vice is like sort of a a coen brothersy plot where it's just like this guy kind of in too deep um but it it puts you in joaquin character uh, joaquin phoenix's character's mind so well because just this like drug addict loser like private detective who's like never fully aware of where he is so it's like the story is convoluted for the sake of being convoluted in a way that i find like super funny and entertaining um it's the, so, like it's by far their funniest movie too oh yeah for sure or that i say they're his favorite funniest movie yeah i definitely i love I, I love that that's your favorite anyway sorry go on yeah no i mean like that's that's largely what i have to say about inherent vice it's just like the that movie looks like it smells awful (laughs) um and like every environment is just like sticky and filled with smoke and it is yeah one of probably he has other like really strong movies and it's like hard to pick one but i think if i had to watch a pta movie right now or somebody was like Actually, that's not true. If somebody asked me what Paul Thomas Anderson movie they should watch, I wouldn't be like, go watch Inherent Vice. <laughs> I'd probably point them in a different direction. Um, but yeah, it's it's hard for me not to pick that one. But, you know, Phantom Thread, I also, I need to rewatch Phantom Thread because I saw that at a, it was like the last night it was showing at the theater I worked at. I was like super sick. I had a splitting migraine and a bloody nose the entire time. Oh, and I was God. the only person in the theater. And I think I threw up after holy um, crap dude i really wanted to see it you know yeah, it was yes. my last chance to see it in the theaters but and like talk about another movie that's just kind of a setup for a a joke mm-hmm. um like that movie presents itself like i remember sitting in other movies like having the trailer play with my dad and phantom thread that trailer would come on and be like that looks boring which like <laughs> yeah it looks like some like stuffy like stupid period movie that would go straight to like uh I don't know, streaming services that only elderly people subscribe to. Yeah. Yeah. BBC or like some like British channel. Um, But again, just like he could make a movie about anything and make it like funny and weird and interesting. And I think that's like the, my biggest takeaway from him. Yeah. That, and that movie is funny too. It's um, surprisingly funny. Um, uh, It's like, funny at times in a way only like npr audiences would find funny (laughs) but then it's like also genuinely funny in other parts um like it's stylistically funny for like the time period that it's taking place in but then there's a lot of like contemporary stuff like oh no this is actually funny um that he throws in there as well which like he is like a massive fan of comedy too which is worth noting yeah right um and i think he applies that a lot to his work Hey, he's married to uh, Maya Rudolph, so... That's true. There you go. Uh, what is your least favorite? That's tough, because I... 
I don't. Hmm. Because all the ones I've seen are ones where I'm like, yeah, that could be a favorite. Like the master. I also really think is fantastic. Least favorite. Fuck. Um, Boogie nights, maybe. Mm, okay. And then what is your, do you, what is there an underrated one that you think is his most underrated that people kind of forget about? I think inherent vice is also probably fitting for that yeah. one. I feel like, yeah, you could double up there for sure on that. Yeah. And that dropped, it was like, this is weird. Um, <laughs> this but is weird. I mean, it is. And it was like relatively well reviewed, like critically. Um, but I think, yeah, people had a, people have more mixed opinions on that one than I think they do other. Like, I think like there will be blood, which I'm sure we're about to talk about. Um, like everyone talks about that. Everyone talks about, like a million, like uh, Magnolia. I feel like people are relatively hot on, but Inherent Vice slept on. Yeah, I totally agree. My underrated movie is uh, Inherent Vice too, because I think you're right. Like if you look at his, I mean, if you go and just like look at the the way that films, um, his films, like on Letterbox, for instance, are are reviewed. Um, it, it is probably I, I'm looking right now. Um, next to Heart Eight, which Heart Eight was another one that I was thinking about putting as my most underrated. I haven't uh, seen that one. Um, like all his films are like four and above uh, rated on Letterbox, with the exception of Heart Eight and Inherent Vice. And I just don't get it with Inherent Vice. To me, that is like his most underrated. Uh, that movie, um, it's just an interesting movie, and it's and and even though I think it scares people because it's two and a half hours long. But it's like all of his movies are long as hell. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. Like, yeah, except for Punch Truck Love, which is like a half hour or an hour and a half. I mean, that and Heart Eight. Yeah, but um, no, yeah, you're going for two and a half hours if you're going to a PTA movie. Now, I mean, it's just the way it is. Um, but that movie is so rewatchable. Out of all his movies, I think it is like one of the, like my least favorite film of his is The Master, and um, just because I don't think it's um a satisfying film. I think it's way harder to like emotionally connect to. Yes, it is hundred percent. I think the performances are outstanding. Like, like Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix are terrific, but it's just not a rewatchable film for me. And inherent vice is wholly rewatchable. Like, and even if you just watch it in chunks, I I think Joaquin Phoenix's performance in that is one of his best. And, um, dude, the cameo, is is it really cameo? I don't know. Martin Short's performance in it is just terrific. Um, yeah, I don't know. It it feels you're right. If I think you mentioned Cohen's, like it feels like a Cohen film in a lot of ways. Um, and just like how, like much it throws at you, where it's like, this is a lot. It doesn't matter. This is more about how like the character manages it. Yes, um, feels yeah. very much yeah. like a Cohen movie. And maybe that's just because I'm like such a big fan of theirs, and I'll like naturally compare anything to them, but. No, I, I I agree with what you're saying. Uh, and then you said, you know, we'll talk about there, but it is my favorite film of all time, and it is my favorite Cohen or <laughs> PTA film. Um, but it has, I feel like it has some um, uh, resemblances to the Cohen brothers as well. Oh yeah, in, in um, the nihilistic. Uh, it, it, I don't want to say that PTA is hopeful in his films, but even like Phantom Thread has a has a hopefulness to it. Even the Master has a hopefulness to it. Um. um go down all of his movies. I mean, there's a, there's a sense of hope at the end of all of his films with the exception of there will be blood, which is just, uh, has a brutal, brutal ending <laughs> for its two main characters. And probably yeah. the most, uh, nihilistic lead in any film is, um, Daniel, uh, Plainview. Um, I think it's, sorry. 
no, I just say I think that There Will Be Blood is um is a modern masterpiece, um, and it is a wholly American film, and it is um the I think it is the great American film. It just you know, it's about oil, it's about greed, it's about um the dark side of capitalism, it's about um religion. There's just it's just so much that goes into this, and film. also how all those play into each other. Yes, like I think the like how greed and religion are incompatible. Um, right. Yeah. And like actually having this like capitalistic outview on like the world and your surroundings and the people around you, how that's like antithetical to being spiritual in like any capacity. And it's like the furthest you can be from God. Um, I think is what that movie does super well. Also like maybe the great, book adaptation like single greatest adaptation of a written work yeah is there will be blood of upton sinclair's oil yeah um and like a looser adaptation than maybe others would but it is an adaptation for sure yeah and and i think that um when we talk about casting uh paul thomas anderson i think draws a lot from the coens in that too because he uh specifically writes for an actor and i think that's important and um and paul danow's performance in that movie is like because he gets so overshadowed by how good Daniel yeah Day i agree is. yeah but like two different characters and is equally as like desperate as daniel day lewis is like he's like freaking out for the entire movie yeah um yeah. but it's so good and i what i was gonna say before is i think it's a little not sad but i wish the thing people who haven't seen that movie know about it wasn't like the milkshake scene yeah i know you're um, saying and, like the scene in the bowling alley because it's like the very end of the movie um and like yeah it's good but i feel like the movie is going to be better for it if you're just like watching it without having seen the climax of the movie <laughs> <laughs> right and that's not even to me that's not even the best acted i mean the, to me the best scene is the scene in the church yeah, I mean that, and Paul Dano is really the lead in that scene, you know, where he's you know preaching and he's like smacking Daniel Day Lewis. Like that scene is the scene of the movie. Like that yeah. is the point of the movie where you're like, holy fuck, this movie is awesome. You Paul know? Dano is so selective with roles that he picks, but it's he's always incredible. Yeah, he actually he spoke to that. I, I watched an interview with him when he he said um, early in his career because he's obviously really young that he wasn't that way and uh he after filming with uh daniel day lewis and you know daniel lewis is is historically the most selective actor probably ever yeah. he realized like oh, i don't want to just make movies for the paycheck i want to make movies because i want to make them um you know and uh he said that you know he, he really realized that after doing Cowboys and Aliens because it was so terrible yeah. <laughs> that he was like, I'm only going to choose movies that I truly, truly love. And uh, if you look at that, at the the last half of his career, well, I would say half. He, Hold, um, give me a second. Hold on. I'm sorry. Somebody's knocking at my door. Go away. Hello. Hi. Oh, are you Yeah. What's up? Bye. Yeah. I'm leaving this in, by the way. That's fine. <laughs> okay. Slice of life. Yeah, slice of life. There you go. Um, but yeah, Paul Dano, I think, has turned into uh, a great actor, and and I, I'm glad he's not just making movies. I mean, if he if he can afford himself to do that, then then good, good for him. Also, 
dipped his foot in directing. Was that wildlife? Is that what that was called? I uh, don't know. I, I don't think I know what you're talking about. I believe. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> um, directed a little film called, yeah, Wildlife, um, starring huh. uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Carey Mulligan. Oh, that he. Oh, I didn't know he directed that. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. That was his directorial debut. <laughs> that is. That's cool. I mean. And if, but like, you know, since, um, Cowboys and Aliens, like he, I feel like he's made some really good choices. He was in, you know, 12 Years a Slave, Prisoners we talked about, Looper, which I really like, Love and Mercy, which was, um, I guess his, I haven't seen Love and Mercy, which it's on my list. I really do want to see it because I heard he is fabulous in that. And, um, Little Miss Sunshine, he's great in. Yeah. Um, Swiss Army Man. Um, I haven't seen Okja, um, but you know, Bong Joon Ho is was almost on my list too. Um, Snowpiercer, Parasite, yeah. yeah. Um, um, but he's gonna play the Joker, or not the Joker, the Riddler in the new Batman, which was just a surprise. I mean, the guy hasn't made a movie in since I think Okja in 2017, and he comes back three years later to play the Riddler in Batman. Yeah, pretty interesting. Um, also in Meek's cutoff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um. I just want to touch real quick because I think everybody – you mentioned Magnolia and that's probably my second favorite film of his. And I just wanted to real quick talk about that movie as far as like he – that is probably his most personal movie mm-hmm. because, um, you know, if you know anything about his story, he his relationship with his father was super strained. His dad was a um, famous for basically being a television host and um, – but also just a very not nice person. And um, then he, you know, he died of cancer and I think this was his way of wrecking with it. So I I just, I always point people to Magnolia because it's a really weird movie and it's uh, a mosaic of, of films like, uh, or of, of um, characters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, uh, but I think that like, it's probably has one of the best Philip Seymour Hoffman performances and one of the best Tom Cruise performances. Um, of all time. So, um, one of, one of my favorite lines of any movie is, and I'm, uh, th- that's the whole reason I want to talk about this is when Tom Cruise says, if those dogs fucking touch me, I will drop, kick them out the fucking door <laughs> as the, uh, one of the best lines of any movie, uh, ever yeah. delivered by Tom Cruise. Um, anything Friend else show Tom Cruise, <laughs> anything else you want to say about, uh, about this? I think that does it. Paul Thomas, yeah, Paul Thomas, I almost said W.S. Anderson. Paul Thomas Anderson is um, another director, much like Terrence Malick. I'm like, oh, he's just operate. He's so much smarter than I am. Um, and, like, I think you really get that. Like, he's just a very intelligent person mm-hmm. and yeah. kind of makes very intelligent movies. And sometimes I feel stupid watching them because I'm like, like, The Master, for example. I'm like, okay, what is this about? <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But and that that is not a a condemnation of PTA. It's I think just... yeah, I think it, it, he he definitely makes movies that you need to rewatch. Mhm. And sometimes it's hard to rewatch them. Yeah, for sure. That, and that's the that's kind of the issue. I don't know. What do you think? Is that yeah, my, no. yeah, yeah. I okay. th- I think I think that hits the nail on the head. It's like they don't feel like homework, but it's like oh, this is like a um, a de- he makes dense movies. 
is I, I think how I can summarize how I feel about that. Yeah. And I don't think that it's um like some movies are like dense uh, or some filmmakers like to make dense movies um, as a way to like make their audience feel stupid. And mm-hmm. I don't think that's the case. I think that's just naturally. It, it's it's kind of like Terrence Malick. Like I say like, Oh, he's pretentious, but he doesn't do that. He, uh, like, that's just him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's just his way of making films. I think, you know? Yeah. And getting across themes and I yeah. know, telling the story that he's trying to get at to both of them. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, we did it, Drew. You said this was going to be a quick episode. We're almost two and a half hours in. That's true. I mean, I, I got that sense because you were like only talking about the directors and I was like, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just I was like, you know, if we start adding because there's like some news that I would like like to talk about, but it's just there's not there, theaters are never reopening. Yeah, there just wasn't going to be enough time. Um, but yeah. I want to close this out because uh, we have an email from longtime listener Adam Etheridge. So I'm saving the best for last and then we'll we'll be on our way. Um you can always email the podcast at calltopop at gmail.com. That's call it with a K, calltopop at gmail.com. We will read your email live on the air, just like we're about to read Adams. Um and this is what he says. Hello you cults. Um at first I read that as clits, but he says cults. Uh <laughs> wow, what a year it's been. Utter fucking shite. At least a regular cult of pop is something to be thankful for. I whittled down a list of my favorite directors to come up with five. I wouldn't <clears throat> want to say which are their best or worst films. I'll leave that to the experts. So I've gone with the ones that I've enjoyed the most and the least. Here they are. Which, I, Adam, that's kind of what we were doing too. Um, thanks for calling us out. Um, leave it to Adam to be blunt and call us dicks. <laughs> uh, number one, he had David Fincher. Favorite is Fight Club. Least favorite is the case, the Curious Case of Benjamin Button. So we're in agreement there. I fucking love Fincher. All of his films are great. I even like Alien Three, though it would seem it's barely a, his film. Yeah, that's a. I I'm with you on everything you just said there, um, Adam. Number two, John Carpenter. Favorite The Thing. Least favorite Escape from L.A. or The Ghosts of Mars. He's a bit of a legend and made some classics. I want to give an honorable mention to They Live, but pretty much anything after vampires is dog wink <laughs> three is denny villeneuve uh favorite is arrival least favorite is incendies it's much more difficult to have picked a least favorite they're all pretty good so far that said i haven't seen his first few films number four Catherine bigelow favorite is zero dark 30 least favorite is detroit detroit is clearly a good film it's just so relentlessly bleak that I enjoyed it less than the others. Again, there are a couple of her films that I haven't watched yet. Number five, the McDonough's Martin and John. Okay. This is cheating, but they're both pretty good. Favorite is the guard. Least favorite war on everyone. All three of Martin's films are great. John is a little more up and down, but the guard and Calvary are excellent. I hope he gets around to finishing the trilogy soon. It's tough to pick five as Fincher. It's, it was tough to pick five as Fincher's the only director that I get really excited about. There have been quite a few that have obviously made numerous great films, like Ridley Scott. <laughs> I feel like that, that's a shot. Show. Yeah, friend of the show, Ridley Scott. But I've surrounded them with a steaming pile of turds to taint their portfolio. That's I totally agree with that too. Uh, right, I've got uh, right, I've got eight litter trays trays that need changing. The cats aren't going out at a minute either. The house stinks of ripe shit. <laughs> Keep calling, love of Adam. Thanks, Adam, for the email. I didn't read that last part until just now. It was the first time I read that last part, and uh, I almost lost it. Um, we can't have swears on this show. we yeah. got to bleep that out. 
so he, pre- I mean, we, we had similar, we had crossing pass. Um, uh, and then we talked about, you know, leaving John Carpenter off the McDonald's, I think was an interesting ad. Um, have you seen the cow? Have you seen Calvary or the guard? No, I haven't. I, man, Calvary is one of the most moving films I've ever seen. I always forget about it. And it makes me sad that I forget about it. I highly recommend everyone listening to this podcast, including you, Drew, go watch Calvary. It is, it is a fabulous movie that um needs to get uh more clout a great great uh job adam thanks for bringing those up um anything you want to say about the email thank you for writing it (laughs) thank you for writing it all right uh that's going to do it for this episode of the cult of pop let us know your favorite five directors let us know uh what we missed and how we can do better next time let me know what i was wrong about uh, all hate mail can be directed towards my Twitter DMs. They're open. Ooh, open DMs. All right. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode. We will catch you on the flip side. Bye.